Welcome back to Second and Short. It is December 28th, and I've got Luke with me this week. Fortunately, Brock couldn't make it, but we're going to go ahead and get into some of this NFL Week 16 recap. Uh, we'll start it off with Thursday night's game, which we talked about plenty um, on last Friday's episode. Uh, we'll hit you with the final score. The Jags beat the Jets 19-3. to Tons of storylines coming out of that game. Um, but yeah, listen to uh, Friday's episode. Uh, to get our in-depth analysis on that one. Uh, but let's hop into Ravens-Falcons. Ravens beat the Falcons 17-9, and I just want to get your first thoughts right here. Um, Desmond Ritter looked a million times better against Baltimore, and Baltimore is a really, really good defense. So I was just right off the bat, first thoughts, Desmond Ritter looked a lot better. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's because um, Arthur Smith – and the rest of this uh, staff kind of let him do his thing. He, he got 33 attempts this week, 22 completions, 218 yards. He still is yet to turn the ball over, which is a great sign. Um, it, it's just about efficiency and, and, you know, getting down into the red zone and getting things done. And we're just not seeing it yet. And it's been two weeks, so, you know, we got to keep giving him time. But, you know, the way I'm seeing it right now is that the Falcons probably aren't drafting a quarterback when it comes to next year. And so I think Desmond Ritter, these are important games right now for him. It's going to be the precursor to what we see next year because I do think he'll be the starter come week one. Yeah, um, you know, the Falcons, uh, where they stand now, and I, I would actually argue that, you know, where they stood before they played Baltimore they really don't need to win any more games this year. And that is honestly a perfect opportunity for Desmond Ritter. You know, he's in no pressure situations, which obviously you want your rookie quarterbacks to be tested sometimes. But I feel like in Desmond Ritter's case, doesn't really matter. You know, he's playing in kind of meaningless games now, and he just gets a, you know, good opportunity to learn the offense, learn the players. And yeah, I think it's a really good opportunity for him. Yeah. And then another thing I want to point out is that. I talked about Tyler Algier last week doing our top 10 rookies list, and I said that he hasn't really been getting the starting carries when Cordero Patterson's been back. Well, this week he got 10 more carries than Cordero, and he did his thing. 18 carries, 74 yards. The guy's on pace to have an outstanding rookie year for a guy who wasn't really a starter, a low draft pick, really came out of nowhere to a majority of people, and he's... You know, I'm willing to say that he's having a, a better season than a lot of rookie running backs. I'm not willing to say he's having a better season than Kenneth Walker. I know everybody's talking about the yardage comparison, but I, I do think he's having a great season. Yeah, Tyler Algier, I, I actually, Grayson, had the, the same note here. Um, really surprised to see how many carries he got, but, you know, it's the same thing as Desmond Ritter. The Falcons do not have to win any more games this year. Let Tyler Algier get, you know, starting um, – let him get more reps, as you just said. And he, he showed up against, once again, a really, really good defense. So, honestly, th this was not a bad loss for the Falcons at all. No, this was a game for the rookies. Uh, Tyler Algier, like we just talked about, and Ritter, as we talked about. But then Drake London, seven receptions, 96 yards. That's a solid day from a rookie. Tyler Algier had four receptions, 43 yards. That's another great day. And and so I think that, you know, today's game, though there was no touchdown scored by the Falcons, was a step in the right direction for the youth of this team. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's a good insight um, for the fans as to what they're going to see for the next couple of years. And once again, I had the same note about Drake London. Wow, he had a game. He had a game against Baltimore. Yeah, and do you have anything to do with Baltimore? Um, no, not really. I, you know, Lamar's still not playing. Um, it was a very important win for the Ravens. You know, they didn't fall to the trap game, and they're still alive in the playoffs. Um, I mean, yeah, Baltimore needed to win this game, and they did. Uh, but I think more of the stories come from the Falcons side. Yeah, I think the only thing right now that, you know, we have question marks for Ravens is, you know, does it matter if they win these final games if Lamar's not going to be back? And I, 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 I haven't seen anything. Uh, I've been you know, out of town a little distracted from everything. But have you seen anything about when Lamar would be coming back? I have not. But I don't think his injury is very severe, and I think we could see him against uh, in Sunday Night Football against the Steelers, which actually that game just got promoted. I'm really fucking excited about that. So, yeah, I think Lamar will play against Pittsburgh. Awesome. Yeah, it's always good to see Lamar Jackson. I'm not the biggest Ravens fan. I know you aren't. But, yeah, it, Lamar Jackson's an exciting player to watch, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And so I'll be interested to see what happens. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into Bill's Bears. Um, the Bills take it 35-13, and I'll be honest, it was a pretty impressive game for this Bills offense. Um, they really just let the running backs cook. Yeah, um, it was a very different game for the Bills offense. Um, Josh Allen, under 200 yards passing, two picks, two touchdowns, so not very good there, but as you said, the run game looked super good. I want to say James Cook even uh, got more reps than usual and a touchdown, so... Yeah, yeah, very good there from the Bills to show kind of their versatility on offense. Um, but Josh Allen did look kind of bad, um, you know, and the, the stats don't lie, as they say, Grayson. Yeah, yeah, the stats were not good on Josh's side. 15 for 26, 172, and then the two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's a rough day at the, at the field for Josh Allen and, and really any quarterback. Um, but, yeah, like you said, James Cook he got in the game, 11 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Singletary. 12 carries, 106, and a touchdown, and then Josh Allen getting in on the on the fun as well. And, like, this is one of the first weeks that, you know, Stephon Diggs got two receptions for 26 yards, and those were his only two targets. Like, this was an interesting game that we really haven't seen Buffalo play, and they played it extremely well. Yeah, um, you know, Buffalo was really challenged in their passing game this week, and they prevailed, which, um, you know, was – it's kind of surprising considering, you know, how their offense has played uh, the rest of the season leading up to this Bears game. But I actually want to talk about the Bears a little bit more. Really expected them to put up more of a fight. Um, the Bears have had a lot of close games, with, uh, a lot of close high-scoring games with a lot of good team. Really thought that it was going to be like a, like a three-point game here, but Buffalo still blew them out. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that the key here for – this you know bill's defense to look great was stopping justin fields from having those explosive runs they held him to seven carries 11 yards it's only a 1.6 yard average uh, on a long rush of seven and for your defense to do that against justin fields is huge he's been doing that to teams all year he's been torching them when you know they get back in pass protection and then he can just kind of sneak by and get himself a first down well when you limit the possibility of that He's absolutely screwed because we, you know that we've seen how much he struggles when he's forced to throw the ball, and that's exactly what we saw. 
Yeah, um, I, I really do agree with you there. And I think it, it's a really telling game for Justin Fields. He's had so much hype surrounding him with those explosive plays, you know, where the pocket collapses and he, you know, just breaks out of it and scores like a 60-yard touchdown. But, yeah, today he was forced to throw, and he looked really bad. So, I don't know, maybe Justin Fields isn't really as good as we thought he was yet. I still think he's good. He's just not good at being a passing quarterback, which is fine. That's his niche. His niche is to be a, a, a run-heavy quarterback in a run-heavy offense. And, look, 23 attempts, that's probably where Justin Fields should be sitting at in most games. But like we've already said, is that they limited the running. So, obviously, you know, he he's a multi-dimensional quarterback, but he's limited in, in many aspects of being a quarterback. Yeah, um, definitely, though, I, I think to be to be a premier quarterback in this league, I, you have to game plan around it. Um, and, and I'm just kind of surprised that he, um, you know, with how much hype has been surrounding him, that he wasn't able to pass out of this game. But Bills had him completely flustered. Yeah, 100%. And let's get into Saints-Browns. This one was an interesting one because – the Saints ran the ball quite a lot and didn't let Andy Dalton just do his thing. We talked about it last week that, you know, a key for the Saints has been letting Andy Dalton kind of just do his thing. And it seems to have been successful because Alvin Kamara has been so pitiful this year. But this week it was the Alvin Kamara show. He got 20 carries, though he only had 76 yards put up the touchdown, he got two receptions in the receiving uh, end, and they ended up coming out with the win. Yeah, they uh, the Saints, you know, it was a must-win for them, must-win for both teams, I believe. And, uh, yeah, they, they prevailed over the Browns. Um, and the Saints are still alive. And you and I both think that, you know, it's, it's pretty possible, especially since the Falcons lost to Baltimore, very possible now with uh, the Saints' momentum that they could run the table. Of course, Brady edged out in a close game, which I know we'll get into that later, but the Saints are right on their tail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Saints are 100% still in it for the NFC South. Do I think that any of the teams in the NFC South are going to get out of the first round? No. Uh, I think it's a ridiculous conversation we're having where we keep saying that, you know, if Brady gets a home game, it doesn't matter. They suck. Yeah, do, do, does Tampa even have any fans? Oh, they do. I was actually I was just down in Tampa. I saw Raymond James Stadium this morning. But I will say, look, they've got a fan base down there, and they've got a great stadium. It's in a great city. But it doesn't matter when your team sucks. Look, the Falcons lose plenty of games at home. It's just because they suck. <laughs> very true, very true. But yeah, um, on the Browns side, Deshaun just didn't really have a great game, and I, I'm not going to keep ridiculing him. Uh, I get it. He only started practicing with the team within the last couple, like, what, two months? Like, it's obviously going to be hard to become the starting quarterback of a team when you haven't been able to play a football game in years. But Nick Chubb did his thing. But I think what's really screwing over the Browns in these last couple of weeks is that Kareem Hunt has just been ghost. Like seven carries, eight yards, and then the receiving game, three receptions, 14 yards. I feel like we normally see Kareem Hunt way more active when we see the Browns on a roll. Yeah, um, very good point there. The Browns are a very um, underrated dual threat running back team. And 
Yeah, Kareem Kareem Hunt, you know, as a backup running back is kind of just like, holy shit, you know, you got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But, yeah, Kareem Hunt kind of been a ghost all year long. And, you know, I think the Browns are suffering because of that. But I, I wanted to make a comment on Deshaun Watson. Um, a, a big positive that he can take away from this awful performance against uh, the Saints is that he uh, looked really good with Amari Cooper. I want to say Amari Cooper had a relatively decent game against the Saints, and I feel like that's important for Deshaun Watson to go ahead and build that wide receiver uh, quarterback connection there. So, I, you know, it's a horrible game for Deshaun Watson, but I feel like that's a huge plus he can take away. Yeah, and in the end, it now that we're nearing the end of the season, it's important to see, you know, what some of these teams that, you know, haven't looked great this whole year, what they can do to maybe jumpstart something that will develop over the offseason and go into next year. And I think, yeah, Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper's chemistry is going to be the key to this team's success. Obviously, um, you know, the defense is there, and they have a good defense. Obviously, they need to pick up a couple more pieces, but I think that, you know, if you can get Deshaun even close to what he used to be and... You know, with Amari Cooper, with Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt, this team could be a playoff team come even next year. Yeah, which um something that I haven't really heard about um, a lot this year is the the Browns' potential and the Steelers' potential, I feel like makes the AFC North a really interesting division for the future. Um, I, I can definitely see, you know, for a couple years in a row, it coming down to week 18 almost every single time for these four teams. It's a really interesting division. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of power there. And I think that, you know, each team in that division outside of the Bengals is kind of, you know, just a few pieces away from being a Super Bowl contender because obviously the Bengals are already there. We saw that last year. But yeah, the Ravens, uh, they just need Lamar to stay healthy. And and they would be very close. I think they should improve the defense um, and work on the receiving core. But then with the Browns, you know, they need a couple things. The Steelers probably have the most glaring uh, issues to address. But I, I think that they're very close to being a contender once again. And it, yeah, you're right. The the AFC North could be a very interesting conference come next year yeah and and one more thing i wanted to comment that uh, i just realized you didn't mention first the ravens also have to sign lamar back which uh man i can't wait to talk about that That that's going to be a very juicy free agency for him you want him in pittsburgh <laughs> no <laughs> not <laughs> at all we actually you know almost drafted the guy i, I want to say it was rumored that the steelers wanted to trade up and get him yeah Kind of crazy, but yeah, no, the the Ravens have to sign Lamar first, and they have to get him receivers. Yeah, uh, and and we'll get into the Seahawks Chiefs game. Uh, the Chiefs take it twenty four to ten, and not much really happened in this game. Um, on the Kansas City side, Pat Mahomes had his normal day at the park. Um. A little bit low completion percentage for him, only 16 for 28. But, you know, nonetheless, they got it done. And that's what the Chiefs are so good at. Yeah, um, I'm glad that you addressed it as, you know, not really much happened in this game because uh, I have literally no notes for this game except 
the only thing that I have for this game is that it, it's a really crushing blow for Seattle, um, who were, gosh, it seems like just two weeks ago were, you know, kind of one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and people were really excited to see them in the playoffs. You know, they had Kenneth Walker, and Geno Smith is, you know, it's taken him long enough, but he's finally broke out. And Seattle just can't catch a break anymore. And I, I feel like this game was kind of the crushing blow to their season. Yeah, and we had looked ahead uh, weeks ago and seen that Seattle had a tough road to the end of the season. And, you know, this game was the one that everybody circled. If they would have won this game, it would have been huge for them. It put them at 8-7. and seven. They'd be in a, a very good position. Instead, you know, now you're negative and it's all a climb from here and you've only got two weeks to go. But I, I do want to highlight uh, Travis Kelsey's performance, six receptions, 113. Yes. That's a great game. Um, and then on the other side, Kenneth Walker, 26 carries, 107. That's phenomenal. Yeah, Kenneth Walker, um, you know, definitely had a great game against the Chiefs, but um, didn't get into the end zone. And, and I think that was, you know, a big reason why they didn't win this game is, you know, Kenneth Walker has been absolutely amazing. And, you know, yards yards are definitely a pretty stat in some incidences, but, you know, when you're losing games and you don't have a touchdown, I feel like over 100 yards is just kind of diminished at that point. Yeah, I get that. But also, you know, normally when your running back does really well but he doesn't have touchdowns, it typically sets up a strong offense in the red zone for the passing game, and we just didn't see that. Yeah, uh, Gino. You know, uh, Kenneth Walker. He he did his thing. You know, I mean, he didn't have the bet, or you know, he didn't have any touchdowns, but he definitely did his thing. And I I think this loss comes down to Gino. Yeah, I, I agree. But let's get into Vikings Giants. This was one that we talked about on Friday, as you know, a game that we all circled, and it didn't disappoint. No, not at all. Um. One thing I really wanted to highlight for this game is uh, a very different story for Daniel Jones. He actually had stats like a regular passing quarterback would have. He threw the ball 42 times. He had over 300 yards. He had a touchdown and a pick, which, you know, is kind of meh, but still he offset the pick with a touchdown. And, yeah, you don't really see many games like this from Daniel Jones. Hey, I'm not going to say it, but I totally called this. I said watch out for some Danny Dimes action because – I said it all week. Look, if the if the Vikings defense doesn't take Daniel Jones seriously, he will capitalize on it. And he did. They just fell short. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's very surprising because I also wanted to highlight uh, Saquon Barkley had a super good performance today. He had eight receptions, 14 carries, 84 yards on the ground, 49 yards in the air, and a touchdown on the ground. And they still lost, which has been a very, you know, kind of unfamiliar setting for the Giants is losing when Saquon Barkley does well. Yeah, and I think what that came down to was the limited carries. Look, Daniel Jones had a great game in the passing game, but he ate up all of the attempts, you know, all of the plays or passes. So Saquon kind of gets limited in what he can do impact-wise. Obviously, super active in the receiving game, but... You'd rather see Saquon's impact in the running game, and with 14 carries, you can't see everything that he can do. For sure, but uh, one thing that I did want to highlight, you know, is this game, kind of like how we talked about with the Falcons game and um, and the Ravens game, or Falcons and Ravens game, 
Uh, I really wanted to highlight the fact that the offense of the Giants looked completely different. I mean, we've already talked about it, but he, Daniel Jones threw 42 times. That That's like crazy for him. And I think, you know, the fact that they were able to keep this game uh, within three points, you know, keep it close, shows that their offense can be versatile, which a lot of people doubt them about. Yeah, and they looked good throughout this whole game. Obviously, they go down early. Um, they go into the half down three. But then take a three-point lead going into the fourth, and then it was just a slugfest from there. And the Vikings just prevailed. And that's what they've been so good at this whole season. The Vikings just barely pull it out right there at the end. But I do want to talk about something that we talked about on Friday previewing this game is that you can't just hit Justin Jefferson. And that's exactly what happened. Last week's was K.J. Osborne. This week it was T.J. Hawkinson. He got 13 receptions for 109 yards and two touchdowns, while Justin Jefferson still got 12 receptions, 133 and a touchdown. And so it, it goes to show that the Vikings can get creative. They don't just have to force the ball to Jay Jettas, and it's a recipe for success. Yeah, no, 100%. I uh, was really impressed with TJ Hawkinson, and man, Grayson, what a fucking trade that ended up being for the Vikings. Of course, Hawkinson has his quiet games because he is in an absolutely loaded offense, you know, unlike Detroit. Um, But wow, Hawkinson really, really showed up today. Um, One thing that I really wanted to highlight, though, is Dalvin was under 20 carries again. He actually had the same amount of carries as uh, Barkley. He only had 14, which... (sighs) talked about this last week is the Vikings and the Packers um, are two teams that just don't use their star running back. Yeah, Dalvin definitely needs to be used more. And like you said, we've talked about it with the Packers as well, is that, look, when you've got a star running back, a guy with the talent, the guy that, you know, you drafted with a second round pick just years ago, he's been a a pro bowler, a, a top five running back in the league for almost his entire time in the league you gotta use him and 14 carries just isn't enough for Dalvin Cook look Kirk probably could have had a similar game on 40 attempts and that would have given Dalvin over 20 carries so it's just about finding balance in your offense and that's something that we saw on both ends both sides in this game they got Two committed in the passing game. They left the running game out to dry, and it kind of hurt both of them in different spots. Yeah, um, but man, did Kirk Cousins. He he looked great against the Giants. Um, I, I feel like, in my opinion, a lot of games that Kirk is required to throw the ball a lot in, you know, he, he kind of suffers in some moments. He throws picks. He misses some plays. But overall, you know, he looks decent whenever he has to throw a lot. But this game, I mean, he was lighting them up. 34 for 48. Um, 299 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks, which is really surprising from Kirk Cousins, considering he threw the ball 48 times. I mean, that's kind of crazy to not have a pick. Yeah, it's very impressive, and it reflects in the stats. But um, let's go ahead and get into uh, Bengals-Patriots. This game was pretty good. Uh, the Patriots surprisingly kept it super close, but Joe Burrow just went into takeover mode. Yeah, and threw the ball 52 times. How the hell did that happen, Grayson? Well, uh, I I couldn't tell you, but it it seemed to be working. Yeah, he threw the two picks, but three touchdowns, 375, and the running game wasn't quite getting it done. Joe Mixon had a, a decent day, 16 carries, 65, but 
look, when your guys just aren't dropping passes, you got to keep hitting them. And, and T. Higgins was nine targets, eight receptions. Jamar, 11 targets, eight receptions. Like, down the list, nobody missed more than, like, two or three of their targets. And, and that's why the Bengals just kept feeding them. Yeah, and, man, I really wanted to highlight T. Higgins here. Of course, I'm a Steelers fan, so fuck the Bengals, but, man, T. Higgins, he has had such a difficult year, and I- I'm not going to lie, it, it was it was kind of nice to see him, you know, pop off against the Patriots, but one thing that I really wanted to highlight for the Patriots is Mac Jones looked decent, um, which is you know, not really happened too many times for him, and the Patriots also completely got away from the run game. I, I think it was actually really lucky on the Patriots in that they kept it this close. Oh, yeah, for sure, and, and- the Patriots are good. Don't get me wrong. They just don't have quite everything they need to be successful, whereas Cincinnati just does. And I think that's going to be the big difference maker in these games. Yeah. Um, but Mac Jones, he finally showed up, you know, kind of when he was counted on. Uh, he's been, I, I think, statistically, um, maybe QBR, maybe it's yards or picks. He's been statistically like the worst quarterback in the NFL this year, which is not a good sign for the Patriots, but, man, that defense is serious. Yeah, yeah, they've got a solid defense. And, look, they've got the offensive pieces to be successful. It just doesn't seem like they're all always on the same page. It it seems like, you know, when Ramondre Stevenson has a good game, Mac has a bad game, and vice versa, and it just screws them over week after week. Yeah, um... Kind of a little bit unrelated, but Ramondre Stevenson, I've absolutely loved him this year. Um, didn't really show up against the Bengals, but he he's going to be a stud in this league for a long time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think that even if New England isn't like his big spot, I think he could really show out on another team in the next couple years. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, well, that'll do it for Bengals-Patriots. Let's get into Panthers-Lions. This one was a high-scoring one. Rather unexpected outcome. I think we all kind of circled this as just a win for the Lions with how bad the Panthers have been and with Sam Darnold as the starting quarterback. But Sam showed up. Look, they keep doing exactly what we've talked about, and it's limiting the amount of problems that Sam Darnold can cause. If you only give him 22 attempts, he can't fuck it up that bad. And he played really well. 15 for 22, 250, one touchdown, a passer rating of 121.4, a QB rating of 85.4. That is a phenomenal day, especially for Sam Darnold. A hundred percent. And I'm going to tell you why he had such a good fucking game, Grayson. It's because Donta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard both rushed over 100 yards. When the hell is the last time that um, two running backs on the same team in the NFL have rushed over 100 fucking yards? That, that had to have made it easier on Sam Darnold. Oh, 100%. Because all he had to do was get it done in the red zone. And he got it done one time in the air, one time with his legs. And out of nowhere, they're beating a team that was looking at the playoffs. Yeah, Um but, yeah, I mean, really, when you have a run game that good and you can start working in play actions and, you know, different types of plays on the offense for Sam Darnold to, you know, have more open shots, uh, I mean, this is going to be the result. You're going to put up 37 points. Yeah, and then for the Lions, like, they really didn't have a bad game. 
Jared Goff had a decent game. The problem was that a majority of the production kind of came in the second half. First half, they only got seven points. And Jared Goff didn't play horrible throughout this game, but they couldn't run the ball whatsoever. And they didn't even really try. Jared Goff had three carries for 15 yards. He was their leading rusher. DeAndre Swift had four for 12. Jamal Williams, seven for 11. And it seemed like the only guys that did anything in this game were DJ Chark, who still didn't put up a touchdown after four receptions for 108. And then Shane Zilstra, who got five receptions, 26 yards, and scored all three of their touchdowns. Yeah, a really strange game for the Lions here. Um, Jared Goff had a wonderful game, but just had absolutely no help from the run game. And it kind of looks like it came down to game planning, not really the running backs themselves. They only ran the ball 17 times, which is, you know, fairly low. And DeAndre Swift, he only got four carries. I mean... I don't really understand the game plan going into this game for the Lions. I mean, they had so much momentum, and I, I thought they were fired up to make it into the playoffs, but this this is a really crushing blow, also considering that the Packers won. Yeah, this puts the Lions in a really tough spot, and I, I think it just comes down to, we talk about it over and over again. Brock loves to say it, so I'll say it for him since he's not here this right, week. Brock. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be back next week, but the running game sets up the passing game, and if you can't run the ball, you're not going to win, and the Panthers ran the ball, and they passed well. Detroit couldn't run the ball. They passed well, but they couldn't get it done, and that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, and I mean, Donta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard not really like kind of standout running backs, but man, they showed up in this game. They, I mean, and it kind of shakes up the NFC South just a little bit more. Yeah, and then the AFC South is all over the place. Texans beat the Titans 19-14, so the Texans pick up their second win of the season off the back of a horrible performance from both sides. Yeah, and one thing that I wanted to highlight again is Malik Willis Grayson, man, he he just keeps getting chances and I I am very disappointed in him. I I kind of I remember on draft night kind of wishing that the Steelers took Malik Willis over Kenny Pickett, but wow. I mean, I I know Malik Willis has no receivers, um but you know, he gets another opportunity and he just can't show up again. Yeah, it, it's tough to see. You know, as a Falcons fan, I wanted Malik Willis as well. I thought that picking him where we took Drake London wouldn't have even been a reach. And now I'm so glad that we don't have him on our roster because I'm not sure if it's just going to be if it comes down to his experience. Look, the guy was at Auburn, transferred to Liberty, played well at Liberty, but Liberty's just not, you know, a top tier program. And maybe it was just that he didn't play against the guys, or maybe he didn't get coached by you know the top tier guys that prepare you for the NFL. And so I just think he's not quite ready. Um, I don't know, you know, what this means for Malik's future. I think he does stay in Tennessee. I think maybe he gets another chance, but it just doesn't look good. Yeah, um, Malik Willis did have a decent game on the ground, seven carries, 43 yards. But one thing that I want to highlight that doesn't help Malik Willis's case is Derrick Henry, 23 carries, 126 yards, and a touchdown. You know, we literally were just talking about how the run game opens up the pass game and completely failed this game. Oh, for sure. 
And I think that just comes down to having a rookie quarterback with little to no experience and, you know, expecting him to be efficient in the red zone. Look, you can't expect that out of the guy like that. So, yeah, Derrick Henry can get you there as many times as he wants. But if Malik Willis can't get it done, he can't get it done. Yeah, and uh, he for sure didn't get it done, get it done against Houston. Um, and, yeah, Tennessee falls to their rivals in a really brutal game for their playoff hopes. Yeah, and it doesn't. I'm not trying to say that the Texans got it done, really, but they came up with the win. Like, the offense was pitiful. They couldn't run the ball. They Honestly, they couldn't really pass it either, and they just kind of happened to walk away with it. Yeah, um, and one player I wanted to highlight on the Houston side was Jalen Petrie again. I had him in my top 10 uh, rookies of the year. He led the game in tackles, so I don't know. Just kind of wanted to point it out. Hey, just keep patting the stats. But let's get into uh, a much more interesting game. 49ers, Commanders, and the 49ers take it, 37-20. And my God, are the 49ers on a roll. Yeah, and I mean, I I know Brock has too, but, you know, we participate in a lot of dick-sucking of this team on this podcast. And the Commanders, I don't think that they're a bad team. I don't know how you feel, Grayson. I I, I would be scared to play the Commanders. They, They seem to compete against almost anybody they play against, especially as of late. But the 49ers just get it done again. Yeah, it, it's weird to see Carson Wentz's name on the box score, but he didn't play bad. Heineke didn't play bad. It, it just came down to the 49ers outplaying them. Yeah, and the 49ers defense continues to out uh, to out um, turnover, to out turnover, yes, other teams that they play against. And, man, I, I don't know if it, it, they are proving that if Brock Purdy just does enough, that defense can carry them to get Ws. Yeah, I, I think Brock Purdy is like the best quarterback right now in the league at doing enough for his team to win. Like, they didn't even run the ball exceptionally. Christian McCaffrey had 15 carries for 46, but Ray Ray McLeod just randomly on his one carry had a 71 yard touchdown. The old Steelers. So, oh yeah. And, and then, you know. Brock Purdy didn't really have to spread the ball around. He wasn't sharing too much. Six receptions to Kittle, five receptions for Ayuk. That combined for 200 passing yards. And then Jawan Jennings and Christian McCaffrey both got two receptions. And out of nowhere, San Fran's got 37 points. Yeah, and I I really have nothing else to add to this game. It's just kind of um, the commanders just fell behind. Uh, I mean, the commander's offense, with how shaky they've been, you know, with Wentz and Heineke, of course Heineke looks a lot better than Wentz. There there was no way they were going to be able to topple this defense, even with Scary Terry. Yeah, not a shot. But uh, let's get into Cowboys-Eagles. Eagles missing Jalen Hurts. Cowboys end up taking it 40-34. to But I don't want to you know, take this away from the Eagles. The Eagles are still a good team, and Gardner Minshew looked very good with this offense. Yeah, I mean, 340 yards, I think, is what it was. Or I know it was over 355. 355. There you go. Um, So, actually, over 350. You know, and two touchdowns, two picks. Hey, from your second-string quarterback, why would you not take that? I'd take it for a starter with the Falcons. <laughs> R.I.P. Falcons fans. But then, you know, across the board, Philly looked really good without their star quarterback. Miles Sanders 
didn't quite do as well as I thought he would. 21 carries, 65 yards. But but that's still a, a serviceable game from your running back. And then Devontae Smith, he did great. I talked about it, how Devontae Smith, you don't have to throw the deep ball to him. And he had eight receptions, 113 yards. His longest yardage on one play was 23. So he can get it done in the short game. And that's how the Eagles even stayed anywhere close. Yeah, and and with Miles Sanders kind of being shut down a little bit by the Falcons, he, of course, was helped out by, you know, the likes of A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Both went over 100 yards. Devonta Smith had two touchdowns. I mean, yeah, and, and that was with a backup quarterback. So the Eagles are proving this, – this is a very positive loss for the Eagles. Of course, you know, the defensive play is a little bit eye-opening, but, I mean, offensively, you're proving that you can, you know – contend with a decent team in the Cowboys with Garner Minshew. Yeah, and then on the other side, Dak has a lot to be happy with this performance. Look, it's tough to get sacked 43 times, or sorry, six times for 43 yards and throw a pick, but we said it. We were not impressed with Dak leading up to this game, and we said that he needed to limit the turnovers. Yeah, and you- He only threw one interception, and he looked so good just out there passing the ball. I, I think what it was is Dak Prescott must have listened to second and short and was like, okay, motherfuckers. And, yeah, he showed up. We kind of grilled him uh, on Thursday. And, man, you know, I, he limited his turnovers. Of course, it's still a pick, but he threw three touchdowns and kept his team in the game. Yeah, once we're done, I'll have to go see if we had a listen in Dallas because if Dak was listening – Dad, go ahead and send me some some merch or something. I'll I'll rep whatever you want. But yeah, CD Lamb got involved and he's looking like a real number 1 wide receiver. Yeah, I I actually kind of a little bit disagree with that statement. He he's been okay this year, but he's had a lot of games where I've just not been very impressed, but hey, I'll give it to him here. You know, division rival. Um both of you guys have clinched the playoffs, so maybe it's a little bit, you know, not as big of a game as it should have been, but hey, Cowboys-Eagles, I said it on the last podcast, it's always going to be a good game. And for CeeDee Lamb to show up in a um, you know, highly contested NFC matchup against two awesome teams that will both be in the playoffs, he outperformed himself. He's He did amazing. 100%. And then Tony Pollard, he is just the most well-versed running back when it comes to being able to have a good game when he gets the bulk of the carries and also get involved in the receiving game when he's not getting the carries. He had only nine carries for 19 yards, and Zeke had 16 carries. But Tony Pollard got eight targets, six receptions, 61 yards. So he's very good at making an impact no matter how they game plan for that yeah, week. Yeah, I don't really have much to add about Tony Tony Pollard except for, you know, to that's it's pretty much what you just said. He finds ways to hurt you when you're shutting him down in one asset of the game. You know, they completely shut him down in the rushing department. So he's going to get him in the receiving department. He had an awesome game. Yeah. And I think my biggest surprise just across the board from this game was kind of how limited the carries were. I thought for both of these teams in the situations they were both in that we'd see a lot more rushes. I think for Dallas, it was about, you know, don't, I feel like going into this week, you didn't want Dak to have to throw the ball a lot. You wanted him to be able to just let 
let Zeke and let Tony Pollard take over, and they didn't do that, but it still went well. And then on the Philadelphia side, you'd have thought that there would have been more carries, a little more activity in the run game with Gardner Minshew at quarterback, but they let Gardner eat, and they still played a great game. Yeah, and, you know, we hit on it on uh, Thursdays. We we both agreed on the fact that with Dak and his turnovers, the Cowboys were going to have to have a good ground game against Philly this week. They didn't, and Dak still showed up, which is a honestly probably more of a plus than if it went the other way. I mean, he he's proven, you know, that he can still perform when he doesn't have a run game, which is a very positive sign for Cowboys fans, especially the last couple weeks, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think both of those teams um, can see themselves possibly matching up in the playoffs and having a great matchup when actually when it, when it's their actual starting quarterbacks facing off for the first time this Which year. Which would be interesting. You know, it, it's always highly contested the <laughs> third time that uh, division rivals will play each other. And, yeah, if the Cowboys and Eagles play each other, man, oh, man, I, I will be for sure watching that game. Yeah, and we'll get to a game that I know for sure you were watching. Raiders-Steelers. Steelers take it 13-10, to and I just want to let you speak. Yeah, Um. wow, what a win. I, I am uh, – the, the Steelers I, – I, I will say this about Mike Tomlin's Steelers. No matter how much adversity this team is faced with, we, we just always seem unwavered. Of course, the Steelers have been dog shit this year, but second half of the season we've really picked it up. And, uh, yeah, I was really – I was happy with this one, man. I mean, the offense really disappointed me this game. But, hey, when there's 45 seconds left and you're throwing touchdowns to George Pickens to win the game, and that's two rookies making that play, by the way, I mean, that's a big moment for Steelers fans. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, you guys let Kenny eat. Throwing 26 for 39, 244, one touchdown, one interception. Kid didn't get sacked once. That is a very impressive game for Kenny Pickett. Yeah, and I, I don't really have much to add to this game. You know, it, it was kind of – it was a little bit meaningless. Of course, it meant a lot to me. But um, I, I just really like seeing the uh, the Kenny Pickett-George Pickens relationship forming, and I think they're going to be with each other and around for a very long time. Yeah, I've got two points to go with this one. In It's how bad Derek Carr played. 16 for 30, 174, one touchdown, three interceptions. That is brutal for Derek Carr. Yeah, which I I will give him a little bit of leeway. You know, it's negative seven. I'm sure receivers' hands are frozen, quarterbacks' hands are frozen. But, you know, with the Raiders and the Steelers kind of being in the same position going into this game is, you know, they're both on the brink of, you know, playoff elimination. Um, You know, you would expect Derek Carr, who's been in the league for a while, who has the weapons, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, to do a better job. Yeah, and then my second point is Devontae Adams. Two receptions on nine targets for Devontae Adams. That is ridiculous. Yeah, and you know, to go back to the the weather of the game, I don't know if you can really call this a good game plan by the Steelers' defense. It may have just been a weather thing, but still. I mean, Devontae Adams, he's been, you know, a premier wide receiver in this league for what feels like my entire life, basically, especially the last couple of years, and, you know, you would expect him to do better anyway. Yeah, but let's get into these Sunday games. This Sunday slate was really good. A, a lot of very fun games to watch, you know, for, for different reasons in each spot. Let's start with the first game, Packers-Dolphins. Packers take it 26-20, and all of a sudden, 
We're talking about the Packers making the playoffs. And, and you and I have come back to this point, and I'm going to say it again. If Aaron Rodgers gets into the playoffs, I don't give a shit who he has, you know, his receiving weapons. I don't give a shit how, you know, their what their record looks like or how they played the rest of the season. I, I don't want to play Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs if I'm any team in the NFC. No, not at all. Especially a Packers team that can be successful when the run game's not working. Look, they gave him uh, some carries. 17 carries from your primary running backs combined. That is a little bit. They should still be getting a lot more, and I'm not going to stop writing them about it. But Rodgers did his thing. 24 for 38, 238, touchdown, interception. It's not you know a great Aaron Rodgers performance, but they got the job done, and I think that's the best thing that the Packers have going for them is that they have a team of guys that'll get the job yeah, done. Yeah, just like you said it. You know, run game's not working, then that bad man who's done it for so many years, you know, he still has the capability to show up and win important games. Yeah, 100%. And then for the Dolphins, Tua, 16 for 25, 310, one touchdown, three interceptions. I'm pretty sure I talked about it last week where I said Tua's accuracy was going to be the X factor in this game, and it wasn't there. Yeah, and those three picks hurt him. I mean, it's only a six-point game, but you turn the ball over, you know, three times uh, through the air. And, you know, really poor for Tua here. And, you know, the Dolphins, they ought to be worried right now, especially, you know, the Patriots kept their game close. They still lost. But if I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm kind of worried. Yeah, and I'd really be worried because Tua is back on concussion protocol. Yeah, um, I actually saw the hit, or it wasn't really a hit. It was kind of more of like a standard tackle, but he hit his head on the ground super hard. And it, it's just something that's got to be looked at. He, he's way too talented to keep having this stuff happen to him, and it, it's something that could could seriously cripple the Dolphins' season even further. Yeah, and they've still got some shining stars. Look, the offense is great. Jalen Waddell had an outstanding game. Five receptions, 143, and a touchdown, an 84-yarder for that. And then Tyreek, four receptions, 103. The problem here is that Hill and Waddell got 12 targets and nine receptions. The rest of the team got 12 targets and seven receptions. And we talked about this with the Vikings. It was something that they struggled with was hitting people outside of your top receiver. And look, they've got two top receivers, but they still need to spread the ball out. You got to give other guys looks or you're going to be the most readable offense yeah, in the league. Yeah, and this is something that Minnesota has done a really great job of avoiding. Look, the Vikings and the Dolphins are kind of similar offenses when you think about it. Both have you know, uber-talented receiving weapons. Of course, the Dolphins, um, you know, don't have Dalvin Cook. But you got to get Mike Gesicki more involved. And I I don't know if it's just kind of a a him thing or a scheme thing. I think it's more of a scheme thing. But Gesicki, you know, doesn't really get much love. And he's, you know, he's very talented. Yeah, you'd think that a Mike McDaniel team would know how to use a tight end with how well George Kittle was used. But... You know, it just doesn't seem to translate. I think Mike McDaniel knows that he's got Jalen Waddle and he's got Tyreek Hill, and he just thinks that that's enough. And, of course, those two guys are great, 
but they've proved at least seven times this year that the wide receiver one and two are not enough to win you an entire game. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of facade that you have in the NFL is you have these really entertaining offenses, but if you're one-dimensional, you're you're not going to be – you know, blowing every team away. You're going to have games like this where you lose games that you shouldn't, and it's just as simple as that. Yeah, and I think that a big difference maker here was that the Packers put up points early. Like, Keyshawn Nixon's return, a 93-yard kick return, put him on the Miami 9-yard line, was the key to this Packers win, and it only led to a field goal in the first quarter. But... Them getting points on the board early is something that kickstarts this team for the rest of the game. Yeah, and and you know I don't really have much to add to that, but to you know mention something that we've already mentioned earlier, the Dol- or not the Dolphins, the Lions lost, and the Packers won, and I'm pretty sure these two teams play each other Week 18. Man, that's going to be a good one. Oh yeah, both it's seven and eight right now. Um. And we'll talk, you know, pushing forward on Thursday or on Friday's episode, what we think. But yeah, it's going to look, it's looking like the NFC North will have an interesting conclusion. But let's get into Broncos Rams. And this one was interesting to watch in the sense of the Rams blew the Broncos out of the water. 51 to 14. Yeah, um, Baker Mayfield. Not half bad at all. I think this was a really, really important game for him because for Baker Mayfield, you know, every game that he starts for this Rams team, he's he's fighting for his job. He knows that Matthew Stafford is the quarterback of this team. But, you know, Baker Mayfield, he can still have a job elsewhere, and he needs to play, the, play out well the rest of the season, or, you know, he won't. And he showed up today, but Cam Akers, man, what would you think about him? Oh. You should know I love Cam Akers. Florida State guy. Loved him at Florida State. Thought he was great last year. Hasn't really done much this year. Comes out today, or sorry, comes out on Sunday. Just fucking slung out. Big balls. 23 carries, 118, three touchdowns. That's the Cam Akers we all want to see. Yeah, and and he was definitely the key to victory um, for this Rams team, and Wow, yeah. Like you said, he hasn't showed up all year. And you're it, for the Rams, they, they've been such a weird team when it comes to running backs. I, I don't know if it's Daryl Henderson or Cam Akers. And both of them have proven to be decent. And Cam Akers really showed up against Denver. who's a good defense. Yeah, 100%. And one thing I do want to add for the Rams is that Baker is literally the most inconsistently good quarterback in the NFL. Like, him going a full game without getting sacked is crazy the 15th time in his career that he's gone without getting sacked and a QB rating of 88.1 a passer rating of 124.7 that's an impressive game for Baker but on the other side oh my god this Broncos team suck we see it week in and week out but they suck I I can't shit on Denver enough they are they are literally Grayson. I think th- this they have completely killed their franchise for years and years to come. You extend Russell Wilson without even watching him play a fucking game, and this is something that I called last season. Russell Wilson with the Seahawks last season did not have a good half, uh, second half of his career, 
And I, I knew it from the beginning. I, I kind of figured he was done. Of course, it was a really exciting, um, you know, signing for Denver because a lot of people thought that they were a playoff quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender, and that's exactly what they added. But holy shit, they are paying him so much money for so many years, and this team looks like they have no future whatsoever. Yeah. It's rare that I look at a box score and I see a QBR of 3.5. Like, Russell Wilson sucks this year. And it doesn't help that Nathaniel Hackett's just as bad at coaching. And uh, after this one, he lost his job. So Nathaniel Hackett's out after 15 games, and it makes sense. 100%. Yeah, and and just to go back to Russell Wilson, and honestly, you could throw Nathaniel Hackett in this fucking bucket too – it's not like you don't have a good team. I mean, shit, you got Latavius Murray, but to start the season, you had Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, and Javante Williams was predicted to go absolutely insane this year. Of course, he was a little bit slow and then ended up um, you know, receiving an injury and being out for the rest of the season. But on the receiving side, you also have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Greg Dolchitz that has stepped up. How the fuck are you not a good offense? I, I just I don't understand it, man. Oh, yeah, dude. They suck, and there's zero excuse for it. Um, This is a team that we need to watch over these next couple years, especially, you know, these early years of this Russell Wilson deal, and see what things they can do. Look, this entire franchise got turned on its head this offseason, and it seems like it's just gone down. Yeah, and, I mean, even defensively, you have weapons as well. Alex Singleton, he was involved in 20 tackles this game. You have Justin Simmons. You have uh, Patrick Sertan, Kareem Jackson. I mean, this defense is, you know, pretty good, too. Of course, they've slipped up in, you know, what I would call the garbage time of their season. But, like, I I just can't believe how bad Denver's been. Yeah, dude, they are so hard to watch. But let's get into Bucks cardinals Sunday night. This was a great game. 19 to 16, the Bucks take it in overtime, and we just saw two of the best quarterbacks of our generation face off: Tom Brady, Trace McSorley, on the biggest and stage. Trace McSorley, almost I got only... him, dude. <laughs> yeah, man, Trace McSorley was this close. But I say that this is two great quarterbacks, and I make this joke because neither of them were outstanding. This is Tom Brady in a game late in the season. Playoffs are on the line. He's playing a backup quarterback. And Tom Brady had two picks, had a QBR of 34.3, and it took a field goal in overtime to win against a 4-10 and Cardinals team with their third-string quarterback. Yeah, um, wow. I, I just... Tom Brady, I don't think, is getting enough media attention this year. Of course, some might disagree, you know, with the whole uh, Giselle thing, but, like... Tom Brady is really showing some age, especially in the last, like, four or three weeks. And, man, in this game, he showed it, too. I, I actually was watching this game live, and I have a cool little story from it. Um, Tom Brady's second interception, I don't know if any of the viewers or even, you know, maybe you watched it, Grayson, but it was just a weird interception to see from Brady. Kind of like Aaron Rodgers throwing an interception to Aiden Hutchinson this year is it was just kind of like, damn, like my childhood's over. And, and I remember looking at Dad, it, it was a poorly underthrown ball that was picked off easily. And I looked at Dad and was like, wow, like that Tom Brady just threw that ball. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that one, personally. 
Uh, I didn't tune in until near the end, and then I wanted to go to bed. I mean, it is so. six and eight versus four. <laughs> I gave 11, up on so, that I mean, one. I get it. I, I didn't watch overtime, so. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was like halfway through the fourth, and I was like, oh, the Cardinals are going to win. The Saints are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then I wake up to, to 1916 Buccaneers. But, look, this Buccaneers team sucks. And, and we're going to talk about – um some mock draft stuff here at the end of the episode and something that I do think would bring this franchise back to life um, if they pick it right. But yeah, like your leading rusher, Leonard Fournette, 20 carries, 72 yards. Your leading receiver with the most receptions as well, Leonard Fournette, nine receptions, 90 yards. Can somebody else do anything on this team? Mike Evans hasn't showed up all season. Chris Godwin came back from injury and really hasn't made the biggest impact. It seems like nobody except for Leonard Fournette can do anything. I, I on would this agree, offense. and and I would even go as you know, hot take, incoming hot take, motherfuckers, listen up. Russell Gage has honestly been probably the most consistent wide receiver on this team, and and I like to watch it. You know, he was um someone that I kind of you know have been around for the last couple of years, living in Georgia hearing about Falcons news and you know Russell Gage he looks good in Tampa. I I'll, I'll give him respect for that. Yeah, no, Russell Gage is a solid guy. He's a solid wide receiver 3. He shouldn't be getting 65 yards. He shouldn't even be getting five receptions. But he is and it's not working. Look, Mike Evans having eight targets, three receptions. This is a this man is a giant. One of the most physically gifted wide receivers we have seen outside of Julio Jones in the last however many years. And he just isn't catching the ball. I don't get it. Yeah, it's an it's an off year for him, and it's an off year for the whole team. Uh, one thing that I wanted to highlight on the Cardinal side, you know, and, and this one's kind of just a simple take, but I, I just wanted to say it. I love seeing James Conner do well. Oh, same. Yeah, I love James Conner. I think everybody's heard his story, and it's just amazing to see yeah, him do it. Yeah, and well. I, I remember, you know, when his time in Pittsburgh was coming to an end, I, I definitely wanted it. I, I didn't feel like he was the back for the team, but, wow, he, he looks really good on Arizona and way more versatile, too. They they love him in the receiving game over there, and, you know, and they liked him in this game. Seven receptions, 41 yards on the uh, through the air for James Conner. That's not too bad. Yeah. And talking about wide receivers that, you know, are at the top of the league oh, and not go. getting it done. This one. Oh, my God. DeAndre Hopkins, what are you doing, bro? Ten targets, one reception for four yards? What the, the fuck is I, going on? I couldn't tell you. Uh, this was a really, really strange game for DeAndre Hopkins. I cannot remember a time in his career where he has played an entire game and this was what his stats looked like. Can't say that he wasn't getting targets. He had fucking 10 of them. A really strange game from DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I, seriously, I've never seen stats like this from him. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Maybe he needs more steroids. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Hey, I'm a huge, huge, at least for baseball, Huge fan of just getting rid of the steroid rules because then everybody can do it. That would make baseball way more fun to me. So if it, if anybody in football wants to get that started, feel free. I'm 100% behind you. 
<laughs> I can't say that I'm uh, I'm behind you on this one, Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that our blood pressure is dude, through that the Broncos roof, man, I, um, I I love shitting on the Broncos. They're they're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting one, and then Monday Night Football, um, irrelevant game. We had talked about it Thursday, previewing it real quick. And it was exactly what we talked about. I said it from the start. Indianapolis has absolutely nothing to work with. Nick Foles looked like shit. Three interceptions, seven sacks. They couldn't really run the ball. Zach Moss did all right. 12 carries, 65 yards. They just had no offense. And that's what we talked about. And there was no way that... Nick Foles, Zach Moss, and Michael Pittman Jr. We're going to keep up with Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, and Keenan Allen, and yeah, so and on. It, you know, when you're playing the Chargers, and, and I know I talked about this uh, on Thursday, but the Chargers are a shaky team. I mean, they're, they're only 9-6 and six this year, even though they're loaded with talent. And the, the Colts still just couldn't get it done. And when you play against the Chargers, you got to have an offense to keep up. Well, you put up three points and you lost. Yeah, it, it was a rough one to watch. And look, you got to give it to the Chargers for even being in this position with the injuries they've had throughout the year. They've been fortunate that Herbert hasn't been the injury-ridden one, but Eckler, Allen, Williams have all been out at different points in the season, and plenty of guys have stepped up. But, you know, I don't see this Chargers team really making waves in the playoffs. Um, I just think that the AFC is pretty top-heavy. I, I genuinely believe that the top four teams in the AFC are the teams that will move on. I don't see many upsets yeah, coming I, from Yeah, I, I really don't either. Um, I, have, I have nothing else to add to that comment except for the fact that, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the other teams that are just barely going to make it in the AFC probably have no chance against the top three or top four teams in the AFC. Yeah. But uh, that kind of gets us done with all of NFL Week 16. Uh, I do want to get into like some in-case-you-missed-it type news for the NFL. Um, the first one being uh, one thing that we just kind of glazed over, didn't really get to talk about, was Steelers legend Franco Harris passed away Tuesday, uh, just days before his jersey retirement and the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Um, I just want to hear... What you've really, got to say, Luke. really strange timing um, of this death, and you know, um, second and short podcast, uh, we send our condolences to the Harris family. Um, really, really, yeah, it was just strange to hear the news. It, it obviously super sad, but very strange. It, it was, it was weird. You know, the the immaculate reception, in, in my opinion, just isn't talked about enough. Um, completely started the Steelers franchise. When you talk about the toughness, the tradition, the grit. I, I, I mean, all of those words that are synonymous with the Pittsburgh Steelers would never have existed if it was not for Franco Harris picking the ball before it hits, his, hits the ground and leads us to our first AFC championship game. I mean, before this, the Steelers were a laughingstock. Never had an above 500 season, I'm pretty sure, leading up to this point. And we're in the playoffs on the brink of losing and he pulls this crazy play out of his ass, and the importance of the Immaculate Reception is just highly disrespected, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a play that isn't really talked about all that much. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the people that really know the history of the NFL, um, they they all acknowledge that the Immaculate Reception is one of the best plays and probably the most important play um, in, in NFL history. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it definitely started the whole franchise, like I said before. Before this, the Steelers had no Super Bowls. Um, in 1972, in the same playoff run, we won our first Super Bowl and then won three more in like seven years. And and none of that would have been possible if it wasn't for, I mean, you know, really some fluke play. Yeah, yeah, it, it's super hard to see. And like Luke said, uh, over here at Second and Short, we send all of our condolences to the Harris family. Let's move on to Nathaniel Hackett getting fired after 15 games with the Broncos. And I talked about it a little bit in the Broncos uh, game recap, but... Oh my God, were they so bad this year? And you're a first-year head coach. You're supposed to, you know, you kind of expect to have a bit of a long leash. But when you're this bad with this many weapons, you got to get your ass out of town. There are absolutely no excuses. And I actually, uh, I was scrolling through my Instagram feed today, Grayson, and I, I saw the clip, and I actually watched this live. It was the first Monday night football game of the season. Uh, the Broncos didn't call a timeout. And Shannon Sharp actually is who they had on the uh, on the Manning cast at the time, and it, it was just funny to watch uh, Shannon Sharp and um, Peyton Manning like have to formally question Broncos' decisions. And yeah, Hackett couldn't catch a break this season. Seemed like he didn't really even try to break out of it. And like you said, I mean the weapons were endless on this football team, and if you can't game plan to get at least like one or two of them involved, you're going to get fired. And he. A hundred percent deserved. Yeah, like with this kind of team, honestly, it should have been able to run itself this year. They were a talented, very talented team coming into this year. People really thought they were going to shake up the AFC West. Little did they know they're the laughing stock now. But let's get into some happy news for us as the official Zach Wilson hate podcast. Mike White is cleared to return for the Jets, and Zach Wilson's going to the bench, and oh I couldn't have goodness, got better man. news. This one is so exciting, especially since the Patriots and the Dolphins lost. The Jets are still alive. Of course, you and I have both you know, um, talked about the fact that we both think the Jets have lost a, a shit ton of momentum, uh, especially compared to how they were in the beginning of the season. But I, I feel like with both of these losses and Mike White you know, being cleared, I, I think they still have a chance. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think Mike White adds a ton to this team, and I'm very interested to see what's going to happen come next yeah, week. I, I can't wait. And Zach Wilson going to the bench where he deserves. Um, very excited to see Mike White. Yeah, and then uh, another move that is very interesting to me, um, I don't think it's official yet, but the Panthers are expected to sign Josh actually... Norman. Um, to replace the injury Sorry to, to J.C. Horn. I actually can confirm that this is uh, this has happened uh, like a couple hours ago, and awesome. I, I cannot be more excited. Josh Norman, I, I really, really enjoyed him when he was in his prime, which was super, super short, unfortunately. But he, he was one of those guys that I, I always loved. Um, you know, he's what a cornerback in the NFL should be. Really fucking good and a trash talker. And and Josh Norman, he comes off as one of those guys, if you kind of watch like his stuff off the field, 
He, he isn't really a trash talker. He's not a piece of shit. It, it's just literally a part of his game. And, you know, we saw it with Odell, how flustered he can get wide receivers. So I, I'm excited for Josh Norman to be back. I don't think he'll be a crazy addition, but it's just cool. Nah, he's a, he's a good – he's good for football. He's good for the viewer, and especially Twitter. Twitter loves Josh Norman because there's so many videos of him just beating the hell out of people's wide receivers. But um, let's get into some news that, you know, it kind of makes me sad. And it J.J. Watt, kind of out of the blue, announced his retirement. Um, he's going to be retiring after this season. Um, the tweet um, was adorable. It was his daughter at her first Cardinals home game. And he's like, he said, you know, our, I can't quite remember his daughter's name. Uh, her first home game and my last home game. Just out of the blue, nobody saw it coming. And like I love J.J. Watt. Dude is a multi-time defensive player of the year. Uh, an absolute animal. And, and like hearing his story, the guy wasn't heavily recruited. I, I believe he was at Central Michigan. Wasn't getting a lot of playing time. Transfers to Wisconsin. Sits out a year. And then just works his ass off to get it done, and, and got into the NFL and immediately uh, yeah, made an impact. Yeah, TJ Watt, uh, not TJ Watt. I always get them confused. JJ Watt. Right, yeah, you like you said, JJ Watt, super unexpected. Um, but how fitting? I mean, he looked like prime JJ Watt against the Buccaneers. He had an amazing game, and you know what a time for his uh, for him to announce his retirement. But I actually kind of saw this one coming. It, it was unexpe- unexpected still for me, but it, that brutal press conference earlier in the season where, he, you know, he was crying and he had just found out the news about, you know, his daughter being born um, and, you know, he's having heart palpitations at, at kind of like the same time. I'm really tough, brutal um, press conference to watch. But, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's a good time for J.J. Watt to call it. Um, his body, you know, I don't think can really take it anymore. He's been hurt for the majority of his career, it feels like. But when he's on the field, man, he is something different. And uh, the NFL will miss J.J. Watt. Yeah, 100%. He he is definitely one of my favorite defensive players ever. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, what he does. He's an entertaining guy. Uh, I could see him maybe getting into the podcasting. Maybe hopping on a booth on one of the television shows. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. But let's go ahead and get into some MLB offseason news. And I'm just going to start off with, you know, the biggest thing going on right now. And it is just this Carlos Correa saga. It will not end. We talked about it last week. He was a Giants player. And then he wasn't. And then he was a Mets player. And, and now it looks like he's not going to be. The Mets sent a private plane to Houston to bring Correa to New York for his medical exams. Now, the Mets are seeing the exact same thing that San Fran saw, and they're holding back. And I think it's super weird. Like, Carlos Correa and his agent don't want to step back and, you know, negotiate a smaller deal or a shorter deal. They want what they want. But I think at this point, everybody's going to see the same thing. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, could we see another team try and poach him 
by offering him a short deal with big money. I, I, I agree with you there. I, I think that's what's going to happen because, you know, teams that are offering him these lucrative, you know, high-dollar, long-time contracts, it, this saga, as it continues, what you're going to see is a lot of teams won't be so prepared to offer him that kind of money anymore. And I think Carlos and Carlos Correa and his agent are, are kind of losing out. I mean, teams are, you know, signing him, not signing him, turning him down because of this medical problem that they're seeing in the examinations. And it's just overall super strange. Yeah, uh, it's it's weird. And we're going to keep you all updated on it because it is just a, a an insane situation. I, don't, I haven't seen something go on like this in free agency in a long time. And I think I said that before. We knew that the Mets were holding off. I, I, I said that this was an interesting free agent situation, and it just keeps getting crazier. But um, let's run through uh, a couple of the moves that have been made. Um, the Orioles acquired James McCann from the Mets. It's not a huge pickup. He's going to be the backup catcher. Um, Ali Rutschman is probably going to play every day for the Orioles. Um, and then Will Myers signs a one-year deal with the Reds, so he finally gets out of San Diego. Um, Will Myers was a player that I really liked uh, when he was young. Obviously, he he won a Rookie of the Year. He played really well when he was in Tampa. He, he was an interesting player, and you know the Reds is kind of a place where guys go to die. So it seems like he's kind of on his last legs. Yeah, I, I think Will Myers here. You know, the Reds are definitely the laughing stock of the MLB here, and I I, I don't really have much to say about um, this one here, but I just feel like Will Myers, you know. It's a step in the right direction for the Reds, and they're you know they're getting some talent on their team, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. No, and, and you know they bring in the talent like Will Myers, and then they DFA Mike Mustakis. So I got no idea what they're doing up there, but it's not good. And, and then you know from Mike Mustakis gets DFA'd by the Reds, and then the Red Sox release Eric Hosmer, and, and this just, you know, I saw these two moves, and all I could think about was that Royals team, man. Oh my god, were they good. That team that won that World Series. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, and, and ever since then, it just kind of seems like Moose has been on the down, you know, the decline of his career. Um, he only played 120 games in two seasons. He batted 216, I'm pretty sure, in, uh, in his time in Cincinnati. He had a negative war, um, I mean, he is talented, and the Reds team is not talented, so maybe they don't DFA him, but I, there are some arguments to be made of, you know, why this DFA happened. Yeah, obviously, like you just said, his production's way down. I understand it. Look, when a guy's not producing, you don't want to play him every day. And a guy that's making, you know, enough money that he is eating up some payroll, just get rid of him. Yeah. I agree with you there. And, and and it's the same story for Eric Hosmer. Look, he did some great things when he moved to San Diego from Kansas City. But at the same time, you know, he wasn't getting it done. They move him last year. He doesn't really do anything with the Red Sox. And the Red Sox are kind of in a position to continue moving up and bring guys out of the farm system. And uh, Eric Hosmer just doesn't fit the bill out there. So... We'll move into a, a great trade. I was super surprised by this deal. I didn't really see this happening at all. And out of the blue, Toronto and Arizona make a trade. Blue Jays receive my favorite utility guy in the league, Dalton Varsho. The guy can play a fantastic center field. 
He can play the corner outfield. You could throw him a shortstop. He'll do his thing. And the guy can catch. Like, it doesn't get more utility than Dalton Varsho. And then the D-backs out of this, they receive Lourdes Gurriel and Gabriel Moreno. Gabriel Moreno is a, a great catcher prospect. Lourdes Gurriel, uh, a bona fide solid hitter in the MLB. And I think that, you know, on both sides, yeah, this is a great move. I, actually, this is a question that I wanted to ask you, and maybe you can help me and some of the viewers out. You know, it's kind of like a little bit of baseball fan, but, you know, mostly a non-baseball fan, especially, you know, when we get this deep. But what is the whole idea? Okay, this is the way I see it, Grayson. Otis Gurriel and Gabriel Martin, or Moreno, sorry, not Martino, are two super talented players. Of course, Gabriel Moreno looks like he has a lot of potential, and Lourdes Gurriel is, you know, amazing. What is the idea and the the true, you know, value that a utility player has in a trade like this? It's because Dalton Varsho has high value in all those positions. That's why, like, in these notes, I put he's a super utility. Because there's guys that are utilities. Look, like, the Braves have Orlando Arcia. We use him as a utility. Guys like Johan Camargo that we've seen with the Braves in the past. Like, they are utility guys. And they don't bring top value at each position. They bring adequate value at each position. Dalton Varsho is a plus outfielder, uh, a plus infielder, and a very good catcher. But when it comes to this, the Blue Jays see it as we can get Varsho, and he can fill both the spots that are empty from Lourdes Gurriel and Gabriel Moreno. But they've already got catchers. Look, they've got their guy that they like. They like Alejandro Kirk. So you don't need Gabriel Moreno. He'll just be sitting there. So... Deal him off, and if you want to give Dalton Varsho a couple games behind the plate, you can, but you can start Alejandro Kirk. And in the meantime, Dalton Varsho can play in the outfield where Gurriel was. Gotcha. So, I, I don't know, but it, it's just interesting because you, you don't see it in a lot of other sports, you know, the players that can play multiple positions and especially being this effective in the game. I mean, I, I as a non-baseball fan, even I know this is a crazy trade that, you know, the Blue Jays are giving up some talent, you know, for a super utility, as you put it. And it's just, it's a very foreign idea uh, to me, the utility player and how much value they can really bring. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, we don't see a lot of guys like Dalton Varsho. You know, the only guys that I'd really even say are on his level when it comes to value outside of their primary position is like a Shohei Otani. Where, you know, his value, obviously show his value is higher, but you don't see it in such a versatile manner as Dalton Varsho. Because when it comes to playing center field and playing catcher, it's like being a quarterback and playing middle linebacker. Like, those two things are completely opposite. And, um, you know, on the offensive side, Dalton Varsho is a, a star. So, we'll we'll see what this is and, and, you know, what it really means for the Blue Jays. But with how bad the Blue Jays were last year, they needed a guy that can give them an impact, and that's exactly what Dalton Varsho does. But um, let's go ahead and get into um, just an interesting deal. Uh, Taylor Rogers signs with San Fran on a three-year deal, joining with his twin brother, Tyler Rogers. 
And I think that is awesome because Taylor Rogers is an awesome middle relief guy. And so is Tyler Rogers. And you could see like seventh inning, you bring in Taylor Rogers. He holds him off eighth inning. You bring in Tyler Rogers. He holds him off. And then the closer comes in. This is going to be a fun thing to watch. Just see two twin it's brothers. It's so pitching. interesting. And, and one thing that I wanted to point out is it, it kind of seems like Taylor Rogers was super cheap, super cheap for what San Fran got him for, which, you know, after the Carlos Correa thing, I think they kind of caught a break here. Yeah, it's a great pickup. Taylor Rogers, just a couple of years ago, was a top reliever with the Twins, and it's just kind of gotten thrown around because um, he was a little bit out of form. But he can be a great reliever. And Tyler Rogers got some filthy stuff, throws it from his toes, and it's it looks like San Fran's going to have a, a solid thing going for him, even though they struck out in free agency overall. Yeah, um, and on top of that, you know, Taylor Rogers, he was pretty much the only good lefty, you know, kind of left in free agency. And I feel like his season last year kind of brought down his value, but his season last year was a total fluke. He's just being kind of passed around. I think he was, um, he played for two teams last year and of, of course he wouldn't have his form, you know, I mean, he's being moved around a lot. So it perfectly makes sense for him not to have a good year last year. And, I think he's he's poised to he's poised to be pretty good on this team. Yeah, and, and then uh, the last thing I've got another guy who's been out of form in the reliever role, Craig Kimbrell, one of my favorite Braves players of all time, signs with the Phillies, and I, I don't think this deal makes a ton of you know waves. Craig Kimbrell is nowhere close to what he was back in the day. But he's still an impact guy. He's a plus reliever, a plus closer at that. He just he just doesn't quite have yeah, the same and, stuff. Yeah, and I he agree with to. what you said, but I, I think the Phillies here, you know, with them getting so close last year, I feel like this was kind of more of a locker room move than a you know actually on the diamond move. Craig Kimbrell is going to bring a lot of awesome things to that bullpen, you know, regardless of his uh, declining form. And I mean, it's a decent pickup. It's nothing too crazy, like you said, but it's fine. I mean, I, I like it. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into some of this bowl game review, uh, some stuff that's happened over the past week, and I'm not going to spend too much time on really any of these, but uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Air Force beats Baylor 30-15 to in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, and this was really a great game. Uh, out in Fort Worth, the Armed Forces Bowl has been great uh, the last couple of years, uh, and now... You know, the service academies have themselves a winning streak. So uh, we'll have to see what happens there next year. And then Houston beats Louisiana 23-16 to in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl in Shreveport. And you got a question. You know, you'd think that Louisiana would have a little bit of the edge here uh, playing in Shreveport. But, you know, Houston's just down the road. Um, Once again, not much to talk about here. Um, you know, the next game has a little bit more to talk about, which is Wake Forest beats Missouri 27-17, Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl down in Tampa, Florida. And I think the big thing here is that uh, shortly after this game, Sam Hartman announced that he's entering the transfer portal. I have nothing to add to that. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> that is no problem. He's... Um, the quarterback for Wake Forest. He's been really good. Uh, I believe he is now the career leader in touchdowns in the ACC. But um, 
yeah, it, it's I, I've got a little bit to talk about him later, but um, next outcome, uh, Middle Tennessee State beats South Dakota State 25-23 in the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl in Honolulu. And, and that one's, once again, irrelevant. Uh, and then we get to the games that have happened today, uh, Tuesday, as we've been um, talking. And um, so earlier in the day, Buffalo beat Georgia Southern 23-21. This one kind of caught me by surprise. I thought Georgia Southern was going to come out and look really good, and they really didn't. Uh, Kyle Ventrice had a great game, 28 for 45, 352, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, yeah, Buffalo just barely edged it out, and it really just came down to a 14-point second quarter. And then Memphis beats Utah State 38-10 in the serve pro first responder bowl. And I thought that Memphis was going to win. I didn't think it would be a 28 point win. Like Utah state looked really, really bad. And Memphis looked great. The running game was awesome. Passing game was awesome. And um, yeah, they put it all together for that win. And then coastal Carolina versus East Carolina. This was a high score. And, And I really thought the coastal had the edge even though I didn't even think that Grayson McCall was going to play, he ends up playing, and they still get their asses kicked. East Carolina takes it 53-29. Yeah, I mean, could have been different if Jalen was on the team, right? <laughs> That's true. Our, our guy Jalen, former Coastal Carolina receiver, watch out for him in the CFL. Yeah. I'm just saying. But um, next game, it's actually happening right now. Two minutes, 45 seconds left in the fourth. Wisconsin's up 24-17. It looks like they're probably going to get the win. Uh, I don't have much to talk about here. Uh, I've been, you know, kind of paying attention to it, but it has not been a great game. A lot of overthrown passes. But um, we'll get into a couple of the previews. I just picked out a couple of games that I really liked. Um, And we'll start it off uh, Wednesday um, as this is going up today. Um, Oregon versus UNC in the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl at Petco Park in San Diego. And I think me and Brock talked about it last week that we hate, hate, hate football fields on a baseball field. And this is just another one of them. And it's the worst. But I do like the matchup. UNC and Oregon are both great teams. Um, Drake May and Bo Nix are very good dual threat quarterbacks. And you might say, Bo Nix isn't a dual threat quarterback. Well, you should see how many yards he runs in the backfield when he's trying to run around and avoid a sack and then loses 25 yards. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm real. I, this is an underrated matchup, I think. Um, I think it'll be super high scoring. UNC have lost their last three. Of course, you know, there's a huge break for bowl games, but still not great momentum there. I, I'm really interested to see how this one will go. Yeah, and then the next game uh, tomorrow, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. Tax Act Texas Bowl in Houston at NRG Stadium, home of the Texans. And I do think this will be a pretty good game. Uh, I think Ole Miss will win it. Um, this game is actually why Brock's not able to be here. He's uh, he's working. But um, I, I do think that Ole yeah, Miss will edge I, it out. I really like uh, the matchup for Judkins here. I think he's going to be the key to Ole Miss winning this game. Oh, yeah. Quinshawn Judkins is one of my favorite guys. I know it's one of Brock's favorite guys, and um, he's one to watch for sure. But we'll get into these Thursday games. So 
Oklahoma versus Florida State in the Cheez It Bowl, Camping World Stadium, Orlando, Florida. My only note right here: FSU by a million. We're gonna kick the that, that, shit out of Oklahoma. Pretty much exactly verbatim what I have written on my paper. There's no way that Florida State loses this game. Yeah, like we've got all of our guys. Jordan Travis is playing. Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman. Everybody's playing. We're gonna show out. We're gonna show that bowl committee that they should have put us in a New Year's Uh-oh. Six bowl. Get about that. All right, next, Texas, Washington. And these are two teams that, you know, kind of got underrated throughout the year but had solid years. Um, They're playing in the Valero Alamo Bowl down at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Uh, Never forget the Alamo. Never – or what is it? I I think it's like uh, always remember, never forget the Alamo. I don't know what the saying is, but I won't. I'll always remember it and I'll never forget it. Um, But – um. Yeah, this is a great matchup. I, I think that, you know, Washington has a great offense that matches up well with the Texans offense. I'm not sure um, if I, I, I got a feeling. I think Bijan is not playing. He might still be injured. I can't quite remember. It's been so long since we've seen Texas play. But um, I, I do still yeah, think I do it's going to be and interesting. I, I remember looking at the matchup predictor on ESPN, and it has Texas by 75%. And I just, I just can't. I don't agree with that at all. I, I think Washington will come out on top in this game. Yeah, no, I think Washington's really good. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. has shown that he's been a solid quarterback throughout this entire year, and I really do think that they've got a chance. Like, Washington won some big games this season. They beat Oregon late in the season. They got a win against Michigan State when people really thought Michigan State was good. They beat UCLA. They beat Oregon State. Like, those are some good, hard-fought wins for Washington. And there's a reason that Washington is number 12 in the nation. Um, they, they have competed with basically any team they've uh, come up against. They, they've shown a lot of, you know, resilience in the tough games and this one will be a tough game and Washington I think I think they got it they've proved it all season long I think they'll prove it against Texas yeah and let's get into some of these Friday games Friday's got a solid slate Pitt versus UCLA Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl El Paso Texas and I really do think this is a good one Uh, I think a lot of people look over this because Pitt isn't all that good. They're an ACC team that not many people pay attention to, but UCLA is kind of where you want to watch this game. But I'm like very sure Dorian Thompson Robinson's playing, and he's just a super exciting player to watch. But my guy to watch in this one is Pitt's running back, Israel Abanaconda. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. That dude is a dog. Like, He's a junior. I'm pretty sure he's staying. He's not going to the draft. And I got a feeling that next year he could be one of those guys that sneaks in. It's like a late first round, early second round running back pick. Yeah, that could really make mean, an that's impact. That's literally all the notes I have written for this game is I am just excited to see Israel play. I think he's going to be the difference maker. And I, I don't know. I think Pittsburgh's got a really good chance against UCLA. Yeah, they, they've got a shot. I just, I think that UCLA is a very good team. Chip Kelly's done a great job down there. 
But um, let's get into Notre Dame versus South Carolina. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl at TIA Bank Stadium down in Duval, Jacksonville, Florida. And I think this is actually a great matchup. Uh, I think in our bowl game preview, uh, when the bowl schedule first came out, uh, I called this the Who's Clemson's Daddy Bowl because both of them were teams that beat Clemson this season. And I think it's going to be a real interesting one. I feel like maybe a lot of people that are outside of the SEC or, you know, even the ACC with your team, Florida State, and my team, Georgia, don't, you know, they're they're putting a lot of disrespect on this game, but you and I both know South Carolina can play and so can um, North Carolina. Notre Dame. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. But, yeah, the ACC schedules against Notre Dame a lot, um, even though they're an independent team. But, yeah, I, I know that Notre Dame is great. And I think what's going to be the the kind of thing that maybe these two teams look different is the amount of transfers coming out. Uh, a lot of times when guys are going to transfer, um, they're not going to play. Like I know Jaheim Bell, the tight end, uh, he's already committed to Florida State, so he's probably not going to be playing for South Carolina. And so it'll definitely shake some things up. But I do want to talk about, uh, you know, not a, a premier matchup at, at all, um, but a big stepping stone for people like us, and, and that is Ohio versus Wyoming in the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl in Tucson. And I, I just, I, I have nothing to say about the actual matchup. Look, I love some action. I love to watch the MAC teams play, and Ohio is just the epitome of the MAC. But it, it's things like this that motivate us at second and short and other small sports media businesses to really bust our ass yeah. and get to the top. Like, I completely idolize, like, what Barstool has done, how they started. I, I love their story. You know, a newspaper in Boston who was just, like, putting hot girls in gambling lines and handing them out. And now they're sponsoring, organizing, streaming, and commentating, among other things, yeah, their and, own and I mean, game. companies like Barstool Sports are really the trailblazers for, um, you know, uh, second and short. And, you know, they're, they're the kind of guys that make sports fun. You know, sports are not supposed to be formal suit and tie, two guys talking about a game, and, you know, it's not really exciting. Sports are always exciting. And I, I feel like that's why Barstool is so successful is they really are a media uh, group for the fans. Oh, 100%. I, I think that, you know, yeah, I still love to watch, you know, Sports Center here and there when, you know, all of them are sitting at a desk in suits talking about whatever happened in the NBA last night and whatever. But I love 10 times more to sit in my car three days a week and listen to part of my take and listen to unnecessary roughness and just hear what they have to say. It's super interesting stuff. And, and keeping up with companies like Barstool is, is something that, you know, f- sports fans enjoy. And seeing their favorite, you know, their favorite follow on Instagram, their favorite podcast creator, a- anything like that, seeing these people on the biggest stage of a sport that you love yeah, and is I mean, huge. With, with the way that their organization is set up, is it, it makes, you know, makes it so easy for guys like you and I to just consume sports because it, it's, like I said earlier, it's it's not formal, you know, it's not polite, it's not, you know, well-written, it's not well-spoken, it's just fun, and, and it's the way that sports should be. 100%. 
But um, let's move on to one of my favorite matchups for sure in this bowl season. Tennessee versus Clemson, Capital One Orange Bowl, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami, Florida. Everybody's talking about it. We said it a couple weeks ago. It's the orangest Orange Bowl they could have possibly had. Tennessee versus Clemson. Like, the only way it could get more orange is if Syracuse was here. But, look, these two teams match up so well. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. DJ's not going to play. Hennon Hooker's injured. So, me and Brock talked about it a couple weeks ago as well. This game is going to be a look ahead to what is happening next year. You're going to have... um. We're going to have Milton starting for the Volunteers. And you're going to have, um, oh, his name is completely blanking on me, uh, the quarterback, uh, Cade Klubnik for Clemson starting. And the guys that most likely will be the starters next year, barring, you know, Nico Ayamaleva winning the quarterback battle as a true freshman at Tennessee. But, um, yeah, I, I really do think this is going to be an insanely good matchup. It, it's it's a good matchup for sure, but I, my prediction for this one is it's, it, it'll be super low scoring, which is something that, you know, both of these teams are kind of kind of foreign to, especially Tennessee. Um, and it, it'll be a different game, but it'll be a, it'll be a good one. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think it's going to be awesome, and I'm definitely going to try and make sure I watch that one. But then Saturday, December 31st, is um, semifinal day as well as the Sugar Bowl and the Music City Bowl. Uh, Music City Bowl, not as important. Um, you know, I hate Will Levis, so I'm not going to watch that game because it's Kentucky versus Iowa. But um, I will be watching Alabama versus Kansas State because that is a yeah, wonderful and- matchup. Five versus nine. Yeah, I, I want to hear I, what you I just got. had to cut you off because here's the thing is I, I don't no, think good. people understand, but if – KSU plays like how they did against TCU, I, I think they win the game, and I think it's pretty simple. Um, Alabama, you know, they're, they're still a threat. They're still a trap game. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a tough time every single time you're going to go up against them. But, but here's the deal. is They're a team in shambles right now. They're nowhere as near as good as they used to be. And I think, like I said, if KSU plays like how they did, did against TCU, they're going to get it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that, you know, Alabama's fortunate that their guys are still going to play. Um, they're not giving up on this team just yet. Bryce Young's playing. Will Anderson's playing. Jameer Gibbs is playing. Like, they, their guys that are going to the draft are playing, and I commend that 100%. So, yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a great game to watch. Um, Alabama has the opportunity to just run away with it. If Kansas State comes out and they're lacking early, Bama's just going to run all over them. But I don't really think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see the same Bama team we've seen all year. They're going to commit penalties that are going to slow them down. And I think Kansas State has a good chance to keep it competitive at least. And I really yeah, do I think they can you. win. I, I would take Kansas State on this one. I, I'm pulling for the for the upset for sure. Yeah, and then we'll jump to the games on January 2nd. No games on January 1st. Uh, we've got the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, Tulane versus USC, and this is one I circled. I talked about it extensively a couple weeks ago. You will be surprised by how well Tulane plays on this stage. They're a great team. They're gritty. 
Willie Fritz is an amazing head coach, a guy that <laughs> for a little bit, me and me and Brock thought for a hundred percent certainty that he was going to Georgia Tech, ends up staying with Tulane, gets a big extension, and dude, I got a feeling that USC is going to get caught on their back foot, and they're Dang, just going to get that's bold, sh- especially you know Caleb Williams just won the Heisman, and on the other side of the ball, uh, or on the other, yeah, the other side of the ball. Caleb Williams, I I am so excited to see him play against this or against this Tulane team because, like you said, this Tulane team's tough, and Caleb Williams just simply has to be tougher, and he has a chance to really prove himself here. Yeah, look, you got a Heisman, and you're the only guy who was there that ain't playing in the playoff, so you got to win something now, and you know this is their opportunity. If Caleb Williams wants to turn up, he'll turn up, and they'll beat the brakes off of Tulane. But I really do think that Tulane has what it takes to win this game. And then let's get into Purdue versus LSU. It's not a huge matchup. Uh, I don't really like either of these teams in this game. Um, I I do think that LSU is going to pull it out. I think Purdue is really not that great coming out of the Big 12 East. Or sorry, Big 10 East. They're just not a good team. Uh, LSU has proved to us on a couple occasions that they can win the big ones. And um, I I think that'll be just that. Uh, They'll win it. And then Penn State versus Utah in the Rose Bowl, Pasadena. I really don't know. I think I want to take I agree with you. I don't have much to add except I've always liked the Rose Bowl. Such a cool stadium. And, uh, yeah, I think Penn State will edge out Utah for sure. Yeah, I, I don't like that the Rose Bowl's on the second. I feel like it should always be on the first. After the parade, play the Rose Bowl, but whatever. But yeah, I, I think I got Penn State. I do think they're really good. And I, and I do think that Utah is really good. I just, um, I don't know. I feel like the Pac-12 teams just don't match up well in bowl games. All right, now we'll get into these college football playoff semifinal games. And we'll start it out. Number three, TCU, taking on number two, Michigan. And I wouldn't be surprised if this yeah, is a real and, and close game. And that's exactly what I have in my notes is that TCU are going to put up a bigger fight than people realize. And I, I feel like a lot of that is because of, you know, um, the KSU loss fired up TCU in a super positive way. Um, Max Dugan, you know, his press conference after that game seemed like he kind of wanted to light a fire on, under his own ass and his team's ass. And I think, you know, a lot of people will be surprised with TCU. Yeah, if anything, Max Duggan has showed throughout this entire season that he's a guy that'll put his entire life on the line for a win. And now he's going into the draft and he's not slated in the first round. And this is the stage where you prove it. And I think this is going to be a prove-it game for Max Duggan. If they can have a great performance, even just keep it close with Michigan... I do think that it'll help Max Duggan's draft stock for sure. But on top of that, I think that TCU really does have a chance. I think that Michigan minus seven and a half, it it seems disrespectful, but I understand it at the same time. Look, Michigan has absolutely dominated throughout this year, undefeated, coming out of the Big Ten. I get it. But TCU is still a great team. Yeah, Um TCU will, you know, like we both said, compete for, or really compete in this game against Michigan, for sure. 
Yeah, I, I do think that what's really going to be the telling sign here is will Michigan's offense get it going? Um, you know, Blake Corum, his injuries have been rough. Um, I haven't really seen too much about, you know, inactive guys in this game. Uh, but if Blake Corum is playing, I'm I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure he's not. I, I want to say he got surgery. I feel so out of tune with college football since there hasn't been games in so long. But, um, yeah, I think that Michigan will look interesting, um, and their defense is really going to be the telltale sign. Their defense can play like they have throughout the year. TCU's got no chance. It doesn't matter how well Max Duggan can play because that Michigan yeah, and, defense and is vicious. I mean, Michigan the last couple of years have really built something special, and if it's not this year, then it might be next year. They're, they're kind of one of those teams where I think they'll be around for, for a while. They have some – Good recruiting. Uh, they seem to have awesome coaching. I love Harbaugh uh, from the 49ers, you know, old NFL coach. And, yeah, I think Michigan are going to be around for a long time. Yeah, for sure. They're building quite the dynasty up there. But, you know, it takes championships, and Jim Harbaugh is going to need some. But um, let's get into Ohio State. Well, actually, I want to get your pick. So who do you think is uh, going to win this TCU. game? Okay, I'm going to take Michigan. Uh, I, I'm still very impressed by Michigan and what they've been able to accomplish throughout this year. So Luke's got TCU, I got Michigan. And then we get into number four versus number one and arguably a better matchup, uh, oddly enough. So Ohio State taking on Georgia in Atlanta. And I think that's the biggest difference maker is that you are going to have 90,000 dogs. Yeah. Now, I mean, we saw it, you know, the first week of college football. Oregon was fucked from day one, you know, playing Georgia in the uh, in Atlanta. And and I think we'll see it today is Ohio State, you know, they're walking into what's supposed to be a neutral ground. It's not. I mean, it, they're going to be playing an away game, basically. It really hurts them. But here's the thing about Ohio State, kind of like Alabama, if you're a Georgia fan. Ohio State, you know, th this could be a big trap game for Georgia. Oh, 100%. Ohio State's got the, the talent to win against any team in the nation. It's just about, can it be Georgia? Is Georgia going to have the off day that they need for Ohio State to prevail? And I just don't think they will. Georgia is so consistent. And you've got guys across this entire lineup that can just dominate. Look, Stetson Bennett is going to do his thing. He's going to have a solid game. He's going to toss a couple tutties. He's going to run the ball a little bit. But... When it all comes down to it, if the defense can slow down C.J. Stroud, lock up the receivers, you already don't have Jackson Smith and Jigba to worry about. So, I think that Georgia's got a great chance to, honestly, I think they could cover this 6 yeah, and I, a half I definitely point spread. agree with you because what, what we've seen from Georgia in the big games is that if the offense can't keep up with the Georgia defense and the, you know, the consistent and steady, no pun intended, Georgia offense, they lose the game. It's just that simple, and we saw it against Tennessee. Yeah, I think that Georgia's going to prevail. I got them winning, and I think they're yeah, going to win I, by I a few Georgia touchdowns. I think Georgia will win by three touchdowns. Cool. They are. The dogs are out today. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for semifinal preview. Um, obviously, with the semifinals, there's a lot more to talk about after. 
um, you know, once we see that championship matchup, because that's the end all be all. But uh, I want to have, uh, I, I'm sorry, I want to get into uh, just the two small pieces of news I've got here. Um, Sam Hartman has entered the transfer portal. I said it a little bit earlier. And it looks like Notre Dame is the most likely destination for Sam Hartman. And I know, like you had said earlier, you don't know too much about Sam Hartman. But I said he is now the leader all time in passing touchdowns in the ACC, which is phenomenal. There's some great guys that have come out of the ACC. And, you know, Sam Hartman looks to be one of them. Um, He hasn't gotten a ton of draft looks because he's been at Wake Forest. But I think going to Notre Dame, getting into a new system, I think it's going to pay out heavily for Sam Hartman. And then, you know, something that you probably have a little bit more insight on, um, Ed Reed has officially been hired as the head coach of Bethune-Cookman. And, look, we know Ed Reed is a phenomenal player. I'm sure you're aware. (laughs) It's just, you know, does this translate? I haven't really looked into, like, you know, has Ed Reed been coaching since he stopped playing? Maybe he's been coaching some high school ball and I just missed it. But I don't I don't know how I feel about this. Um, let's see. Like, it looks like he um, had been helping out a little bit um, when it comes to the HBCU ranks. Um and then I just don't really know if he's done much. I think Bethune-Cookman is a great place for him to start. Um, a small school, uh, a, a relatively decent football history for you know their standing. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting move. I, I just don't know if Ed Reed is really uh, it, you know, a head coach. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and you got to wonder if uh, maybe Deion Sanders, you know, and his kind of uh, – the splashes he's been making in college football kind of inspired this move. Who knows? Yeah, but uh, I do want to talk about uh, one of the big things is I was just kind of looking through some mock drafts the other night, and this one caught my eye uh, from CBS, uh, Ryan Wilson – put out his first round mock draft and I just saw a couple of picks that you know were a little bit interesting to me uh I'd love um, to get you know what, what I, kind I'm gonna of go out for to you? one that happened later um in round one and that was uh that was Darnell Washington going to the Chiefs is where uh this mock draft has him going to and Darnell Washington I don't know he he's a weird He's a weird tight end. He's very athletic, 6'7", 270, and, and like I just said, very athletic. We, we've we seen him hurdle. He can block. He can catch. And I, I don't know. I feel like if if he does go to the Chiefs, that could be a super interesting move. He's he's kind of – he's a little bit of a utility player at the tight end spot. Oh, yeah. And, and having him alongside Travis Kelsey, dude, that would be insane. Because, like, Darnell Washington, when it all comes down to it, he's like having another offensive lineman. And, it, you know, at 6'7". He's a, he's a massive human being. And, you know, it's just a plus that he's a super physical receiver. He's super fast. He can run with the best of them. So, I really do think that if the Chiefs picked him up, 
their offense would just yeah, get and, even and that better just than goes it already to show, is. Like, it, he's, a, he's a strange guy, I would imagine, for a defense to scheme against. He's very good at blocking, super good at catching, really athletic. He, he's just kind of a freak of nature. Yeah, and, um, you know, it wouldn't be a mock draft oh, review without me shitting on Will Levis. And, look, Ryan Wilson. You've got Will Levis going fifth overall to the Colts, and you've got C.J. Stroud at eight going to the Panthers. Like, that is preposterous. You've got, look, okay, yeah, Bryce Young, number one overall. I I can live with that, 100%. Do I think that Bryce Young's the best quarterback in this draft? No, I don't. I think it's C.J. Stroud, personally. But you literally have to, like, reason with the people on why Will Levis is going fifth. You said it yourself. You said... NFL teams are Levis, who definitely looks the part, has been plagued by injuries and poor play all season. He'll be a controversial talking point for the next six months. And you go to eight at CJ Stroud. And it says there's a 100% chance owner David Tepper finally addresses the position this offseason. And if CJ Stroud's available, it's easy to imagine him being the pick. Meaning, if he is available at eight, that would be a, a drop for him. For the Panthers, how could how could the Colts possibly pass up on C.J. Stroud and take Will Levis? So C.J. Stroud has looked good in college, and he sizes up well. He's coming in. He's six three, two eighteen. Like he's got the measurables. He's got the statistics. He's got the winning mentality. How does Will I, Levis I look like a better an one than him? For you, I, I would go as far as to say that Levis won't even go in the first round. I. I I'm with you. He he just doesn't do anything to amaze me, but I I don't know. Scouts and coaches love him all across the nation. I don't understand. Look, I've I've admitted it. Look, Will Levis is probably going to be good, and I'm going to shit on him as long as I can until he shows me that I shouldn't. He's going to go in the first round. Look, NFL scouts know a little bit more about me and you about football. I get it. I'll accept that. So look, if they say Will Levis is a great quarterback and he's going to be great on them, but I pray to God that he sucks. I hope he goes first overall and is the worst quarterback we've seen since Ryan Leaf. I'm not even saying that that's going to happen. I would just love to see that because it would just prove me and Brock and you and everybody else that's been shitting on Will Levis right. What's um, another one you've got? This from one this is a little bit. This one is a little bit strange because here at pick six we have the Falcons taking Tyree Wilson, who's an edge, kind of to go along, you know, with what um with what you said regarding Will Levis, Levis and C.J. Stroud. I don't think the Falcons should take up uh should pass up you know drafting a quarterback in this draft um especially with the loaded draft class. I, I understand getting an edge. It's definitely a position that they need to, um, you know, work on. But I feel like you've got to take quarterback if you're the Falcons here, especially, you know, with this draft class being so loaded. And I don't know, it's just kind of strange to me. Okay, so I'm kind of in a different boat. As a Falcons fan, after what I've seen this season, Look, I'm willing to wait around a couple more years if that's what it takes. Maybe they think that, you know, this might not be the year for a quarterback. Maybe they need to address the defense, which they do. The front six, they're, sorry, the front six is absolutely lacking. I think Tyree Wilson would be a good addition. But 
yeah, I get where you're coming from. They need a quarterback. And, you know, maybe we just have to sit through two or three years of Desmond Ritter before, you know, we pick up the guy. But shit, you know, wait, wait three years. Get Nico Ayamaleva or wait four years and get him. Like, there's guys that are coming up that look great. Shit, Arch Manning will be available in four years. Maybe he's going to be the guy that you want. So you can ride with Ritter and you can make your defense just keep getting better every year. Look, a first round defensive pick seems to be the way to go. It show it has shown throughout the years. Like AJ Terrell has been a great player. Obviously this year he's been a little bit off compared to last. But he's been good. You know, guys like Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker, like they're all showing, you know, upside and they're all early first round defensive picks. So I don't blame the Falcons and I don't blame um Ryan Wilson for thinking that the Falcons will take an edge rusher. Yeah, I I, I just six. think, you know, with drafting an edge position at pick six instead of going quarterback, which is a position that you obviously lack in, and, you know, quarterback is the most important position, let's just be honest. Harry Wilson, he needs to be like a Thibodeau right off the bat. Thibodeau, look, I mean, he may not be everybody's favorite um, defensive first-round pick this year, but he's definitely one of mine. He just looks very versatile, and I think where the Falcons stand on defense is they need more versatility than just like a pass rusher, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get it, but at the same time, you know, like you could argue both sides it, it forever. Yeah, the Falcons need a quarterback. Well, we also need other things. You know, we need an offensive line. There's no offensive lineman we're going to take here. We need, you know, work at safety. There's no safeties we're going to take. And I, I just, you know, I see value in taking a defensive player who's in the front line. He's going to make an impact every single snap. Like, I get okay, this. Let's selection. hear. Let's hear your next one. I'm I'm interested to see what you got next for the for the mock draft. So I I got to do it. I got to shit on another quarterback. I'm not impressed with Anthony Richardson, going 15th overall to the Jets. Are you stupid? Like Anthony Richardson is not what the Jets need. Look, it, this guy said it himself. Ryan Wilson said he's short on experience. And, you know, he didn't win at Florida. They were very bad. He hasn't played. And I think that the Jets are in a position where they just need to keep stacking up and hey, then I, add the I quarterback. I completely agree with that statement you just made. Because, yeah, I, I feel like, that. look, you can use Mike White. Mike White is more than good enough to, you know, let just let him ride. Let him do what he needs to and continue moving. I, I just don't think that at the moment, Anthony Richardson is just not what the Jets need. They don't need a guy that they don't know exactly. is going to be great. Yeah, they don't need the a guy to gamble is, is we, on. We've seen the past couple weeks that the quarterback you know, position is super shaky for them. And what you can't do is I, I understand you know drafting a quarterback, but what you can't do is waste another pick on a quarterback. I completely agree with what you said earlier. Stack, you know, either a different part of the offense or, you know, maybe the defense and just wait. I mean, he's a sophomore. He's he's set up to fail on this Jets team. And, you know, a lot would argue that maybe it's actually been the Jets that haven't handled their quarterbacks very well. So I may, I just think they need someone with more experience. So I'm I'm all for waiting if I'm a Jets fan. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, um, what else you got? like Jalen Carter to the Bears a lot. It is very basic, but I, you know, you're replacing Roquan Smith. Just as simple as that. I, I really like this pick from Chicago. I think he'll be dominant in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Carter is just, you know, once just a, another one to add on top for Georgia. He is just a phenomenal player, a huge stopper when it comes to the run and pass game. So, yeah, he's he's an immediate and, impact and guy, mention, and I think the Bears could use Robert that. Quinn this year too, which you know even further kind of pushes the whole Jalen Carter idea. And you know he's he can definitely be the, uh, a new start on that defense for sure. Yeah. Uh, next thing I want to get into is uh, a Florida State boy, Jared Verse, transfers from Albany, and now. After one season at FSU, he has looked amazing. Look, at full health, he is uh, probably the top edge rusher in this draft. We just haven't seen enough of him at the top level. But when he's healthy, he's definitely one of the best. And then you see all of his skills, even when he wasn't at 100%, he was insanely good. So... It looks like he just keeps jumping up draft boards. The first mock draft I saw was Todd McShay a couple of weeks ago, and he had Jared Verse going 31st overall. And now I'm seeing him at 18. The guy could just keep sneaking up. You know, we still have a combine. We still have pro days to go. I could see Jared Verse ending up in the top 10. I love this pick for the Lions because you've already gotten Aiden Hutchinson, who's, you know, only going to keep getting better. And as a Steelers fan, you know, I've been fortunate to see this for the past couple of years is you had duos like Bud Dupree and TJ Watt. Now you have Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt. And I feel like the Steelers have really been a pioneer in showing like what the modern NFL looks like, what a, what a modern NFL defense looks like two capable edge rushers on opposite sides. And I, I totally understand what the Lions are doing here. And I mean, if Jared Verse gets drafted here and looks good, I mean, that's a dangerous pass rush you have there. Oh, 100%. And is there anything else that you like from this one? Gotcha. So I've got a couple more that I want to talk about. So uh, down here, uh, pick 20, uh, B. John Robinson to Tampa Bay. And I had kind of hinted towards this earlier that it was a pick that I really do think could make some changes for Tampa. And look, Bijan Robinson is a generational talent at running back. And I think I had talked about it a couple weeks ago that I had seen some projections that he was going to go uh, to the Eagles down there in the 30s. But look, at 20, I wouldn't even say this is a reach. He is my favorite running back in this class. And I don't think that Leonard Fournette is really going to be a long-term option in Tampa. But... Bijan definitely could be. Look, he'll plug in in any offense and be successful, but I really do think he could be I, really good I definitely good in like Tampa the Bijan Robinson pick, especially, you know, if he joins the team, you know, among Rashad White, among Leonard Fournette, you know, you kind of open yourself up for a trade option, maybe to ship one of those guys off. Because, I mean, I would still say that Leonard Fournette has a, you know, pretty good trade value. Same with Rashad White, probably even more so than Leonard Fournette. But... I don't know. If if you're Tampa, I kind of feel like you're wasting a pick here. Your running backs are already loaded. Rashad White is, you know, young as hell. You know, if you draft Bijan, 
and trade one of those guys, that I mean, that's a deadly duo. I, I, I just don't like him going to Tampa. That's fair. Um, yeah, of course they already have the weapons there. But um, I, I do think it would be interesting to see what they can do with a highly touted prospect because we don't see that come to Tampa a lot, and we definitely haven't seen it in the last couple of years. They've built off of trades and free agency, and um, I'd be interested to see, you know, what does yeah, their rookie um, development Tampa, really you know, look has like? has a relatively kind of higher draft pick this year, um, which is uh, contrary to what we've seen in the past couple seasons. And like you just said, they're kind of more of a free agency trade, you know, uh, team whenever it comes to building their roster. But here they kind of have a higher pick, and I'm kind of interested to see what they do with it. Yeah, and then uh, my last two things. So Jameer Gibbs um, was number 32 on this one, going to the Eagles. And I just don't think that Jameer Gibbs really is worth a first-rounder. I think that he's probably like a early to mid-second-round pick to me. Um, he's not a, a very good short-yardage guy. Um, he He's, of course, very talented. We've only really seen him... At Alabama for one year because he was at Tech before, and, and you know at Georgia Tech he didn't really do all that much. Uh, obviously, he was a great player, and that offense was made for running backs. But I, I just don't think he really showed what people wanted to see at Alabama. And yeah, I just don't I, understand him at thirty-two. I kind of like this, but only because I'm looking at the other side of uh, kind of what you didn't mention here. And I feel like, you know, if this mock draft actually happens this way, the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I, I'm fine with them taking a running back, even if it might be kind of a shaky pick. I think, you know, any kind of running back draft here would be good for Philly. I don't, I don't think they really lose on a running back pick at 32. Yeah, and I think what's going to be tough is that they – probably do need to draft a running back because I don't think that Miles Sanders is going to stay uh, Super Bowl or not. Um, I think this is probably how it's going to go because if he does impress, I think he could probably go elsewhere, get some money after the Super Bowl. But um, yeah, I think that I think Jameer Gibbs would be a great addition to this team. I just don't know if that's a little bit of a reach yeah, I mean, to pick I, him I, at 32. We'll just have to see here. But like I said, I, I feel like if you're Philly, and especially with what you just said with Miles Sanders, you know, he may, may be an eagle next year. He may not. Taking a running back here at 32, you're not really going to lose. But maybe it is a little early for Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. And then my last thing, it's not really big, uh, just something that kind of surprised me, is that Max Duggan – is nowhere to be found in, in this first-round mock draft. And I think it's interesting. Um, there's a lot to still see from Max Duggan. Uh, he's really just bursted onto the scene this year. But I, I do really think he's a good prospect. Uh, we've talked about how you know devoted he is, how much effort and, and just soul he puts into his game, and how much he puts on the line day in and day out and just bust his ass, and it just seems like he's not getting the respect yeah, for it when I, it comes to these thought, draft boards. You know, with this, uh, with this mock draft coming out after the press conference, um, you know, Max Duggan is 
I mean, you know, he was crying after the KSU game and like, you know, almost, I, I, if I remember correctly, vowing that they would show up against Michigan, which is exactly want, what you want from your uh, quarterback. He's, you know, taking accountability at the same time as, you know, already looking to the future and just showing immense confidence. I mean, that that's exactly what you want from your quarterback. He's already showing a lot of maturity. I'm also surprised not to see him round one. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that maybe, you know, through pro days and combines, these things are going to move around a lot, especially that last, like, 20 to 32 range. It's going to move around a ton, and uh, I'm interested to see what comes out of it. But um, I think that'll do it for us with the draft, uh, mock draft, and uh, just to round everything off, uh, I want to get a stake your claim, and uh, I want to hear what you got, Grayson. Luke. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Okay, okay. So, this is something we kind of talked about earlier, um, and it's not a huge claim, only because, you know, as we keep getting more and more knowledge about the idea, um, it, it seems more and more possible, but I think that Carlos Correa is going to end up signing a three-year wow. or okay. less deal. Tell me why. And I, I say it because... Like I said, this is some unprecedented stuff. We haven't seen a guy like this, the top, really the top free agent outside of Aaron Judge this offseason is Carlos Correa. Judge got locked up by the Yankees, and now it just seems like Correa is out in the water because of these injuries that people are finding. And, you know, when a player spends a long amount of time with one franchise and gets beat up, you know, even an injury back in 2014, like what's happening right now, can make a huge difference down the line. And so I think that if it is as bad as it seems, it's really going to hold off people from signing him for multiple years because it's really going to affect them in the future. Look, you don't want $25 million a year tied up in a guy who's not going to be yeah, playing for I, you in I, five years. I like this take a lot because... And at first, you kind of thought, you know, wow, San Francisco's really stupid for losing out on a player like Carlos Correa and letting the Mets just take him right away. But now I feel like you're kind of seeing it, it, it shifted a little bit. I feel like San Francisco are not, you know, being looked at as kind of like, why did you not sign him right now? Because the Mets evaluated him, saw the same thing, and backed out. It's, it's just really interesting. Yeah, and nobody's like, I don't want you because of this injury. It's just that they don't want to sign him to a 10-year deal because of like what I just said. It's, you don't know what it's going to do to him down the line. Um, you know, now we're kind of seeing why the Twins only signed him on a one-year with a player or uh, one-year with an option is that they saw this same injury and I think that Carlos Correa was just so ready for a scenery change that he just took the offer as soon as he got it. But, um, yeah, this injury is definitely that changing is. the course and, of Carlos oh, Correa's career. Where do you think he's going to go? I just, I don't know. Like, there's so many teams that could obviously use a Carlos Correa. Shit, the Braves could use him, the Mets, the Giants, the Dodgers, like... There's plenty of teams that could use a shortstop. 
Gotcha. Well, I, I really don't know where he could go. I'm gonna steal the show. Ready for this one, Grayson? Please. I do not think. Please do. Baltimore is going to end up signing Lamar Jackson this year. I interesting. Well, let me I hear don't, it. I I think Lamar is super frustrated with this team a lot more than what people think. Kind of like an Aaron Rodgers situation. Of course, you tried to give him Rashad Bateman. It's okay. Baltimore just can't give him any receivers. He's getting hurt. And I, I feel like with how successful he's been in Baltimore and how much Baltimore, you know, claims that they really like this guy, I feel like he should have been signed fairly easily. I, I, who knows, though? Maybe Lamar Jackson's pulling an Aaron Judge, betting on himself, and maybe he'll sign with Baltimore for way more money than they originally offered him. But I don't know. I could totally see Lamar Jackson being very open to other places. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that um, with how this season has gone, you know, yeah, they were a great team when Lamar was playing. They're ten and five right now. That's great, but you got to keep your guy happy. And you know, the way that they offered him in the off season just you know didn't strike him, and it, it's disrespectful. The second you offer a guy a deal, and he turns it down. They feel disrespected. Whether that's, you know, the final outcome of it, that's whatever. But that initial offer is going to light a fire under them. He's going to work his ass off. And it's not just so that you'll give him more money, so that everybody else will too. I, I, I agree. And the injury this season definitely hurt him big time, I feel like, with his contract stance. But at the same time, he's Lamar Jackson. It's not a, it's, you know, not a serious injury. It's very likely that we'll still see him in the playoffs, which I know, you know, Lamar and the Ravens haven't really been successful in the playoffs in Lamar's tenure as Baltimore's quarterback, but he'll be back, and who knows, if he turns it around, especially in the playoffs, I mean, the contracts will be rolling in, and I, I'm sure Baltimore will be worried and trying to keep him, but I I don't know. I, I think Lamar will join to form a super team in, in the free agency. That That's my prediction. Gotcha. Interesting, man. I like that. I like it a lot. No, sir, I do not. Luke, do you got uh, anything else for the Rob, people? I enjoyed filling in for you today, but oh my God, please come back and help me with college football. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that will do it for today. Uh, on Thursday, you're going to hear from me and Luke one more time this week, and uh, we'll be talking playoff picture preview for the nfl uh a little bit about you know some news in the ncaa mlb whatever happens but uh look forward to that premier league stuff uh we're gonna be talking some premier league some other european soccer uh that's getting uh started back up so um i think that'll do it for us and we will catch y'all on friday